And then I realized I hadn't taken my Bible and my iPad out of my briefcase yet, so I guess I ought to do that at some point. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, I'm glad you're here tonight. God sure likes Sunday night Christians. He doesn't have as many of them as he used to, but he sure likes them when he can get them. Amen. And I believe you'll not be disappointed. Amen. I don't know about, uh, I don't know about the folks that aren't here, but I know the folks of us that are here, including me, me. Uh, man, I want to be in every service I can. I want to learn from uh, every place I can learn. And uh, I, I've just always believed, I've been in the ministry 55 years, and I've just always believed that the congregation, the people, can tell whether the preacher knows what he's talking about or not. Thank you, sir. I believe that they can tell whether the preacher's just preaching a message he heard from somebody else or just something that he thought was a good idea or if it's something he's lived. And I tell you what, I have lived this for 55 years. I'm not telling any, uh, you know, things. That I've often said about our tape and book table, our product table, I've often, often said, there is no theory back there. There's not any message back there that I think might work. Years ago, my, my first wife, Jackie, <laughs> years and years ago, we ran a bunch of people over at our house for Thanksgiving one year. So she called her grandmother. And uh, she, said, uh, she said, Mom, she said, I'm having a lot of people over. And she said, I'm not real sure how to make giblet gravy with the turkey, and, and yours is outstanding. Ever since I've been a little girl, I've loved your giblet gravy. So would you, would you give me your recipe? Because uh, it's a big deal. I really want to really zing it and make it right and make it good. And so she said, well, sure. And so she rattled off this recipe. And Jackie wrote it down, cooked it. It was wonderful. People bragged on it, thought it was great. I thought it was great. It was in the sewer. And, and several days after Thanksgiving, four or five days later, you know, well, uh, uh, Jackie called her grandmother and, and said, I just want to thank you. So that, was, that was great. She said, well, she said, did that turn out all right? And she said, yeah. She said, everybody was happy. She said, yeah. she said, well, you know, I just always thought if I ever made it again, that's how I'd do it. <laughs> And Jackie said, what? And she said, well, I always thought that if I ever made it in, that, that's, I think that's how I did. She said, you mean that wasn't your recipe? She said, she said no, I, that's just how I thought I'd like, I'd like to do it. You know? So that was a theory. That was a theory. And the theory worked. But there's no theory back there. That's not anything back there that I thought, yeah, I'll do that. When you, no, I, I've done that. And not only have I done it, the people I preach to have done it. And I've watched it work in jungles. I've watched it work in deserts. I've watched it work in mountains. I've watched it work in, in communist countries. I, I tell you what, I've, I've watched it in, in communist countries where it's illegal for somebody to have more than one business. And uh, I've, I've had, I've gone, even Cuba, I've gone into Cuba and preached for over 20-something years. Years and years ago was 20-something years. I don't know how long now. And, uh, and I mean, I'd have some of those guys come to me and say, and they said, Dr. Miser, since you've been coming, so I've got four businesses now. I said, don't tell anybody. You know, said, we're prospering and we're blessed and, Things are happening and things are going, but, you know, uh, the, the Bible wasn't meant for theory. It wasn't meant for, well, this might be a good idea. No, no, no. This is tried, proven, tested, you know. It's weathered the storm. Hell's tried to stop it, <laughs> and uh, uh, it just still works. Amen. And uh, I'm just a stickler for the Word, and so is Renee, and it's just amazing to me that people are still whining and crying over over the word and still trying to change it to make it things more comfortable for them. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Let's get Amen. Yeah. Renee stood up in the church the other day and she said, you know, if you're still whining and crying, yeah. still gossiping, yeah. 
and still talking about people and still whining and griping about paying your tithes or giving offerings, she said, I don't even think you're saved. She said, I'm not even sure you're saved. You know, you're still fighting. You're still kicking what Paul called, kick what, what Jesus said to Paul was kicking against the pricks. Jesus said that. Paul didn't say it. Jesus said to Paul, he said, son, you're kicking against the pricks. That's a hard road to hoe. That's a tough way to go because you're not going to win. Amen. And I tell you what, I love the Word of God. And I tell you what I like about it, Tammy, is, is that it works. I'm preaching the same thing today I was preaching 55 years ago. And uh, if it didn't work, Marcus, I'd have quit it a long time ago. I'd, I'd have done something else. Because I go where it's dangerous. I go where people are telling me, don't you come here, we'll kill you. I go to places where they're trying to kill me. Renee and I was sitting in a, in, a, in a pastor's office in Mexico City several years ago. Big church. I've preached for them for many years. They're partners with our ministry. Love us. And uh, so I was preaching for them, and, and I was back in the pastor's office, and I was sitting at his desk and just going over my notes for the service that night. And Renee was talking to the pastor and his wife. They were on the other side of the room just talking. And I wasn't paying attention to them. They wasn't paying attention to me. And I was just sitting there and had my Bible and my notes. And I'm just kind of going over stuff. And, uh, and I just had my head down. <clears throat> and the pastor's wife, who's a real sweetheart, he's passed away since then. She's pastoring the church now. <clears throat> and uh, the pastor's wife came over to me and she said, Brother Terry said, how, ma how many times was it that you got shot at? And I didn't even raise my head or look up. You know, I just, I, I just said three. And, uh, and she said, three? And I heard this distress in her voice. And I looked up, because I could tell something was not right. And, she's, and she, I, I could see disappointment all over her face. I could see that she thought something was seriously, seriously wrong. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, three? I thought it was five. It's like I'd been lying to her all these years, you know. And I said, oh, are you talking about the hitchhiker story? She said, yes. I said, oh, yeah, five. I said, I, said, I was just thinking how many times over the years have I been shot at in different places. You know, I said, I've been shot at in, in, in the crusade in Haiti. I've been with a rifle. A guy came with a rifle and tried to shoot me and missed. And uh, uh, then uh, uh, someplace else, uh, where was I? Someplace else they shot at me and missed. And then the hitchhiker shot at me point blank range and missed. And, but, you know, then I've had knives to my throat. I've had knives to the back of my head. I've had, I've had threats. Threatened, but I wouldn't even think it. She just said, how many times have you shot at three? And so I've seen three separate occasions in different countries, and she's thinking I'd lied to her all these years. She, I thought it was five. Oh, yeah, it was five with the hitchhiker. He shot me five times. But, but no, so I've been there, done that. I, I got the T-shirt. This isn't something that, I'm, that I just think might work. You know, I'm, I'm confident of the things of God. Yes. I trust God. But I trust His Word and His honor and His power and His love and His reputation. I'm not, I'm not trusting in uncertain things. I'm not trusting in me thinking, well, I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm doing. Oh, no, no, no. I, got, I go before Him every time. And <laughs> say, if you're not going, I don't want to go. I'm not going on a trip that you're not going on. Isn't that right? And so I love the word. Renee loves the word. But I tell you what, uh, it's special to us because it works. And if it didn't work, then I would know by now. <laughs> you know, I'd be dead by now. And, uh, and, and, and I'd be sick by now. And I'd be broke by now. And I'd be everything else would be wrong. Because uh, it would have just been a con. It would have just been a joke. It would have just been a, just a 
theory. And it's not theory. We really live this way. We really, really live this way. We, we believe what we preach. I, I really, uh, and we live what we preach. I, I, really, I really believe with all my heart that every, book, every, every word in this book is for me and for you. But it's not automatic. That's where Christians get messed up. They think it's automatic. Oh, I get saved and God loves me and then everything works great. No, no, no. There's still laws and principles. The, I've, I've said for decades, this book is a book of laws and principles that work when you work them, don't work when you don't work them. I've told people for decades and decades, if you ever want to figure out God, if you ever want to psychoanalyze him, if you want to be the psychiatrist and God's a patient and you put him on the couch and try to psychoanalyze him, it's always going to come back down to as long as time remains, there'll be seed time and harvest, hot and cold, day and night, summer and winter. It's always been that way. It will always be that way, God said, as long as time remains. Well, that means that... Uh, you know, somebody put on Facebook the other day, they said, Prophet Hank Kuhneman prophesied and said, July's going to be hot. And I said, I wrote and I said, well, no disrespect to Hank, who's a friend of mine, and no disrespect to the prophet, but uh, it's July. <laughs> I said, I prophesy it's going to be hot next July. In the next July, in the next July, in the next July, in the next July. You don't have to be too spiritual to figure that out. How do I know that? Because God said as long as time remains, there'll be seed time and harvest, there'll be heat and cold, there'll be summer and winter, and there'll be day and night. And we can't change, those are four immutable laws. In Genesis 8, when, when Noah and the other seven people came out of the ark, they're rich, they own it all. They own Visalia, they own California, they own everything. They're not another person alive on the planet. Eight people alive on the whole planet and they own it all. <clears throat> and God said, okay, kids, get your, get your tape recorder, get your notepad. First thing they did is built an altar and sacrificed to God, sacrificed some animals to him. I had some guy come to me one time and say, Brother Terry, you said Noah sacrificed animals to God when he came out of the ark. He said, he couldn't do that. So they, they had those animals on the ark so, so they'd preserve their lives, you know, two by two. And I said, I said, they're in that boat for a year. What do you think those animals were doing? <laughs> they, they got more animals at the end than they did at the start. Because of seed time and harvest, right? And so they, they built an altar. They sacrificed to God. And the Lord said, okay, kids, get your notepad, get your tape recorder. I'm going to give you your reason for existence on planet Earth. I'm going to give you your vision, your purpose, your plan. You ready for this? I said, yes, sir. What is it? He said, multiply and be fruitful. Or give me a family. Which is the same thing he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. The very first word God ever spoke, God the cre creator, the man the creature was, kids, get your notepad, get your, get your tape recorder, get ready. I'm going to give you your reason, Adam and Eve, for existence on planet Earth. I'm going to give you your reason why I built you and why I put you here. Are you ready for this? I said, yes, sir. He said, multiply and be fruitful. So give me a family was the plan before the curse, but give me a family was still the plan after the curse. God never changed his mind. He had to change his methods because it's no longer going to work in the Garden of Eden. But it's still going to work. It's still the plan. Brother Hagin used to tell us, he said, you know, if you leave Tulsa and you head to, to Dallas and uh, you, you come to a river, and there's a few rivers you cross, and he said, and the bridge is out, 
He said, you don't just stop and sit down and cry and say, well, I guess I can't go. He said, you just go another way. You, you still get the job done. You still make the trip. You just go, find, go another route, right? And that's what God did. He said, okay, this didn't work in the Garden of Eden. I wanted it to work in the Garden of Eden. That would have been better. No sin, no sickness, no disease, no problems. Everything would have been wonderful. I'll come down to the Google today and walk and talk. Everything would be great. But Adam messed that up, so that's not going to work in the Garden of Eden. But I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to get a family. You know why he wanted a family? Because that message that every denomination preaches and some real famous preachers preach, that I talked to you about this morning, I told you I hate it and it's not right, it's not God. God is in control. Every denomination has preached that forever. It's just wrong. It's not Bible. It's not God. It's mean. It's a mean message. Because it tells you your faith has nothing to do with your outcome, that God's just pulling your strings. And whether you come to church or not, or whether you pray or not, whether you pay your tithes or not, whether you give offerings or not, whether you sing or not, whether you clap your hands or not, whether you're a good person or a bad person or not, it'll make a bit of difference. God's just pulling the strings. He's in control. Right. Well, see, the reason God didn't like that and the reason he wanted a family is because he tried the God's in control message with the angels and it didn't work. He built the angels, and they had no free will. They had no choice. They had to obey him. They had to love him. They had to serve him. God was in control. And he didn't like it. He said, I want a family that will love me just because they love me. I want a family that will love me because they want to. I want a family that by their free will, they'll choose to love me. They'll choose to serve me. Because he tried the God's in control thing and he didn't like it. Amen. Amen. So he gave us free will. Free moral agents. Choice. And said, hey, you can live on the planet. You can serve me or not serve me. You can come to heaven. You can go to hell. I'll, bless, I'll, I'll, I'll protect your right to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. If you want to go to hell, I'll protect your right to do it. If you want to go to heaven, I'll protect your right to do it. If you want to live sick, I'll protect your right to do it. If you want to get healed, I'll protect your right to do it. If you want to be poor all your life, I'll protect your right to do it. If you want to get prosperous and blessed, I'll protect. I'll show you how in the Bible to do it and protect your right. And so he gave us laws and principles and said, if you'll do these laws, Pastor was talking about that just a moment ago, if you'll do these laws, then these things will happen. I mean, you're out here in the Central Valley of California. You can feed 60% of the world's population from here because of seed time and harvest. Now, you know that you can take a seed and stick it in the ground, and, and because of the law of seed time and harvest, it will produce more than you put in. That's a law. I mean, I mean uneducated natives, in the naked natives that I've lived with in, in the jungle, uneducated, know that law. They wouldn't know what to do with the light bulb if you hand it to them. They wouldn't know what to do with the microphone if you hand it to them. They wouldn't know what to do, you know, with, with <laughs> couldn't drive a car. But they know how to put a seed in the ground and get back more than they put in. Because it's a law. This book is a book of laws and principles that work when you work it. And there's a system built into the world. There's a system. There's a system uh, that Adam brought in called the curse. But there's also a system God brought in called the blessing. Yes. And you can live in whichever one you want to. Yes. But it's not automatic. No. It's not God just says, oh, I love you so much. You're going to be in the blessing. 
I don't like you, so you're going to be in the curse. No, it's up to you. And God said, if you want to harvest, I'll tell you how to get it. Plant some seed. Right? That's what I'd tell a native. That's what I'd tell a kid. I've told my grandkids that. Year after year with my kids when they were little and then with my grandkids when they were little, I'd make a big deal every year about going out and planting tomatoes. I'd make a big deal out of it. I said, kids, come on, we're going to go out here, and we're going to dig a hole, and we're going to plant these tomatoes, and, uh, and we're going to cover it up, and we're going to water it, and uh, we're going to go out the next day and look at them, and there'll be nothing there. <laughs> but we'll go out the next day, and there'll be nothing there. And we'll go out the next day, and there'll be nothing there. But it's working. It's growing. We just can't see it yet. But one day you're going to walk out there, and there's going to be a little green leaf sticking up through the dirt. Boy, sure enough, after a few weeks, they come running in. Papa, Papa, Daddy, Daddy, it, there's, a, there's a leaf. There's a green leaf. And I said, well, now, after the green leaf, what's going to happen? It's going to grow up about yay big. And it's, I said, then they're going to they're get uh, yellow flowers. And everywhere there's a yellow flower is going to be a tomato. It's going to take a while. You go out there and the, you look, and they won't be there. They'll just be a flower. But underneath that flower, there'll be a little teensy tiny green ball. And that green ball will get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it'll turn yellow, and it'll turn, it'll turn, uh, you know, it's it'll be green, but it'll turn yellow, and then it'll turn orange, and it'll turn red, and it'll get bigger. And then one of these days, we're gonna pull it and eat it. And I mean, and I mean, they'd do that. They'd run out. There's a yellow flower. There's a green ball. Papa, there's a tomato. It's turning orange. It's red. It's red. And I said, well, let's go eat it. You know, we'd go out there and take the salt shaker and go out there and pull some tomatoes and eat them. But it's seed time and harvest, seed time. And the Bible says that. It says a man plants a seed, and he said, and, and he goes to bed and goes to sleep, and uh, he doesn't know how, but it's working. Those grandkids didn't know how. I don't know how. But I knew if we planted it, it'd work. Amen. And it works the same way with offerings. It works the same way with tithing. It works the same way with good works. It works the same thing with anything you give. You know, uh, Marissa and Tiffany, Renee just told me today that you girls uh, help young women. And uh, I didn't even know that. And she was telling me about things y'all do, ages what, like 8 to 13 or something? 12, she told me 12, 12 to 18. They could answer for themselves, but anyway. <laughs> <coughs> and uh, she was telling me what y'all do and how you do and stuff like that. And I just think that's marvelous. In fact, I want to give you some money for it before we leave here. We want, we want to bless you and invest in that. Because I believe if we plant seed in that, Amen. it'll produce in their lives. It'll help them. It'll grow them. It'll increase them. It'll, it'll affect them for life. And it'll bless us. We can't help getting blessed for it. Because whether we see it working or not, it's going to be growing. I don't know about y'all, but I just really like the Bible. I like I like law. I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a pilot. I like laws. I, I you know I understand laws. I, people tell me all the time. Bro, tell you I hate law. I hate the Old Testament. I hate law. I say, hey. I say, how come all of all the promises you ever confess out of the Bible are always Old Testament? You can't tell me you hate the Old Testament and hate law, and then then you say, Psalms 91 says no plague comes to my dwelling. Uh, uh that's that's Old Testament. Psalms 91 says the angels have charge to lift me up as I dash my feet. That's 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 that's, that's Old Testament. Amen. God gives me the power to get well. Oh, that's Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Amen. 
Somebody said long before I was born, they said the Old Testament is just a New Testament concealed, hidden. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. They say the same thing. Jesus said about the Old Testament scriptures, which are the only ones he had. He said they testify of me. He liked the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus liked the Old Testament scriptures. And, and, you know, he wouldn't be too impressed with you when you say, I don't like the Old Testament. He'd say, well, dummy. <laughs> you know, I lived by it. And Paul said of the Old Testament scriptures, he said, he said, they're able to make us wise unto salvation. Well, Jesus and Paul just knew more than you. Not an amen in the house. <laughs> Jesus just knows more than we do. Brother John Osteen, I loved Brother Osteen and knew him for so many years. He was a friend, plus he was one of my spiritual fathers, and a general and a, a pastor. And uh, he used to always say this. He said it so many times to congregations and to us personally. He'd say, you know, in all my years of serving God, I've discovered one thing. I've discovered that God is smarter than I am. God knows more than I do. And I tell you what, you can, that's a good way to live. Understand that, hey, if I don't know something, God does. I can go to the Word and figure it out. I can go to the Word and find out what God thinks. Anyway, I'm glad you're at church tonight. And uh, I trust you won't be disappointed. And then tomorrow night and Tuesday night. And I can't imagine anybody missing, you know. But I said that to the Sunday morning crowd this morning. And half of them didn't come back. So I don't know what their problem is. I wouldn't miss. Amen. You wouldn't miss. Amen. Plus, your pastor asked you to be here. That's, that's good enough right there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Renee, come on up and greet the people. Marcus and Melina, Melina I'm glad you all are here. These are dear, 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 dear longtime friends of mine. Longtime friends. And as pastor already said, they pastored the, the River Church over in Porterville. And we ministered over there Friday night. And I'm glad you guys are here. Love you. Love your kids. Love your ministry. So, Susie Q, are you coming? Praise the Lord. I'm glad you brought that. Pastor was talking while ago, and I thought, I need to go back there and get that book. Um, God's Opinion of You. Little tiny mini book, and all it is is scriptures about what God thinks about you. Isn't that wonderful? And I remember when I wrote this, I was pretty young when I wrote this, and I gave it to my pastor. I was already in the mission fields, but I came back home. And I said, hey, pastor, I thought you might enjoy this little book I wrote. And he took it and looked at it. And he, he took it and, and he kind of folded it up like a taco. And he held it out at arm's length like this and just kept looking at it and looking at it. And I'm just standing there waiting. And he said, God's opinion of you. And then he shook his head no. And he said, you know, Terry, I don't think I want to know what God's opinion of me is. And he just handed it back to me. Wow. And I said, you really ought to read that. And in a few months, I preached his funeral. But this is just what God, this is what God thinks about you and what you ought to think about you. Yes. And where I got it from was I got it from, from what something the Apostle Paul said. Paul said, hey, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Yes. And I was reading that one day and I said, hey, I agree with that. Yeah. I said, Paul, I agree with that. God, I agree with that. I, I shouldn't think of myself more highly than I ought to. I, 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 that's 100% right. I said, but I have a question. How high should I think? Yes. What should I think? When I look in the mirror in the morning to shave, what should I see? Should I see just an old sinner saved by grace? 
Should I see just somebody with filthy rags? Should I see somebody that's poor? Should I see somebody that's sick? You know, I used to have a missionary friend in Guadalajara, Mexico, and he'd, he'd tell me all the time, hey, you and Jackie, come on over to the poor house and visit us sometime. And I said, as long as you keep calling your house the poor house, I'm not coming. He called his own house the poor house all the time. Y'all come over to the poor house and this. And I said, I'll never come. I'll never darken the door as long as you keep calling it that. Because, see, he saw himself. He saw himself poor. He saw himself defeated. He saw himself beat up. And I taught him the word of faith. And uh, they had some problems in Mexico. Some, they got robbed and a bunch of their stuff got stolen and stuff. And they, they called me and said, pray. I said, I said, I'll tell you what let's do. I was living in Tulsa at the time and had the church. And I said, I'll tell you what let's do. I said, y'all pack up and come to Tulsa for a year. And I said, I will pay you $1,000 a month, which was good money back then. I said, I'll give you $1,000 a month to move to Tulsa and not work. But come to church every time the door is open. And Brother Hagen himself teaches prayer and healing school every day, five days a week. You have to go to that. You don't have to go to Raymond. You don't have to enroll in Bible school. But you have to go to prayer and healing school five days a week and hear wow. the prophet himself preach. That's a deal. And I said, I'll give you $1,000 a month. Well, they did, and I did, and changed their lives forever. Changed that poorhouse mentality. Changed all that other... I need to hush and let you say something. <laughs> Help right. yourself. That's all right. That's all right. This is so sacred. It is so holy. The fact that God would put his spirit on the inside of us. You are aware of that. <laughs> Amen. That God's spirit is on the inside of you. And that he has such confidence in the new birth in you that he can trust you with his word and that if you'll act on his word believe by faith in the heart confess that jesus christ is lord you shall be saved how simple is that i mean as terry was saying that the most primitive of people on the planet this gospel will work for he hasn't made it hard He's made it easy, but yet it is so holy and so sacred that we that have been in the kingdom of God for a period of time, familiarity can breed contempt, and we no longer recognize the power, the command, the gifting that we have received from him. And just standing here behind Terry, talking to him, with, letting him talk to you and think about I knew that couple. They were th th Terry brought them down to our church, and uh, when he came, and uh, we met them in Tulsa, and we saw the difference that a year can make. What a difference a day makes! Well, you give God a year, <laughs> and and things things will change. You know, babies are so sacred. <laughs> the Bible says that children are the heritage of the Lord. You know, uh, I, I, sent a, I sent a scripture to, <laughs> and they have opinions, even as young as they are. They, they got an idea of what they want and what they don't want, and you, better t and you better get it right, you know? I mean, babies rule the house. You know, everybody runs in there to see what they need. They get everything they want, practically, you know? 
And, and I just think that's so wonderful that, that uh, it just is an amazing thing to me, the respect that God gives to human life created in his image, that he says, I want to come and live in you. <laughs> you know, I just don't want to just be around you. I want to be wrapped up, tied up. Uh, you might, y'all remember that old song Nancy Harmon used to sing? I, I'm wrapped up, tied up. Tangled all up in Jesus, I'm wrapped up, I'm tied up. Tangled all up in Jesus, I'm wrapped up, I'm tied up. Tangled all up in Jesus, I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Him. Isn't that a good song? I'm wrapped up, I'm tied up. Tangled all up in Jesus, I'm wrapped up, I'm tied up. Tangled all up in Jesus, I'm wrapped up. I'm tied up, tangled all up in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled all up in him. Hallelujah. I mean, that's a good house cleaning song. I mean, you can, you can, you can sing that song, mowing the grass. You can sing that song, washing the dishes. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled all up in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled all up in Jesus. I'm wrapped up. I'm tied up, tangled all up in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled all up in him. Hallelujah. I mean, brother, I told you this morning by the Holy Ghost, that's a good song to dance by. That's a good song to sing. Think of every fast song you can sing and you dance to it. I mean, you dance yourself right into the promises of God. You take authority over your body and you tell your body, you better move. You better praise God with that body before the rocks cry out. You better start praising God. You better move around. You better do things that use what God gave you. Use it, you lose it, you know. And I mean, we've got to use what we have. Lift our voice. Move our bodies. Praise God. Confess the word of God. Yell, scream, holler, dance, you know, do whatever you got to do. I, I, I know I probably said this one time, but I had a real breakthrough in my life many, many years ago when we were pastoring, and it was absolutely astounding to me what I learned by that one act of just doing what I felt in the Spirit to do before the Lord. And uh, we, Dean and I, had past, we were pastoring the church there in Corpus Christi that we pastored for 38 years, and um, there was just some things going on in the church, and I was a little, uh, you know, concerned about it and I was just walking around the house kind of have any of you do kind of things like this we go you know I mean the Bible has a word for that but you know I mean you just you just feel like <laughs> you know you just have an attitude about it and Dean said to me Renee if if you do that one more time you're going to hyperventilate so I thought I, I you know I didn't realize I was doing it I didn't realize I was just walking around the house thinking about it and I had just, you know, every time I just, you know, trying to do what I need to do during the day. And I went in the kitchen. I just, I just felt like, well, I got to break through this. So I went in the kitchen and got four or five pots, turned them over on their, uh, where their tops, you know, on the bottom, the bottom is on the top. And I got a big old metal cooking spoon I had, and I beat the fire out of those pans, <laughs> praising God. I mean, I just, I, and I didn't, I don't, I don't remember singing any particular song, but I was just, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and I was just making a joyful noise to the Lord, 
And I probably sang something at the time and worshiped God. And when I got through, I was fine. When when the when y'all sang that last song, uh, Tiffany, um, man, there was such a sacredness about singing that that it just felt so. I told the Lord several times, standing there, thinking, "Lord, I'm desperate for you. I have to have you. Not like He's moved away, but I have to hear Him. I have to be close to Him. I cannot be away from God. I have to be close to Him. And uh, it's not like He's threatening us. It's not like He's saying." You know, I'm going to get you if you don't. You know, that's never his attitude. But the fact that he lives in us, I want to hear his voice. I want to sense his presence in everything that I do. And the, the, the only verse that I had in my heart tonight that I wanted to, to say a big amen was it's Philippians 1. This is one of my, and, I, and it has, goes along with, with this tape series, the CD series that Terry has here. Um, on the basics of faith. Oh, I'm sorry. The basics of faith um, is Philippians chapter 1. Everybody say Philippians 1, 10. Philippians 1, 10. Um, since Christianity is such a per-person relationship, Christianity is not a group think uh, you know that that we all have a different idea. Different groups have different ideas. <laughs> you know, we all unto Him shall the gathering of the people be. We all submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. We all bow our knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all come together in Him. But um, e every one of these verses here is for every individual, and then it's up to you to how you want to incorporate that into your life and the holy spirit will teach you that but it's the value everybody say value 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 terry and i teach these things on our podcast terry mize ministries more than conquerors uh, tv program and we try to help you understand the what terry was saying here tonight the value of a believer Speaking the word of God in the earth and taking dominion over a situation is priceless to heaven. Heaven sees your life with such priceless value that if I can get uh, Peter Scott in there, he'll say what I need him to say. Just like Genesis 18, the Lord says, For I know Abraham that he will train his children. And, you know, God... God trust what he's put in you and so I want to use what he's put in there so that he knows he can trust me that when I get there God gets there amen everybody say that when I get there God gets there and whatever the Lord needs I'm available I don't have to be the star of the show he can tell me you got the day off I got somebody else in here that's going to work with me and get this done and I'm cool I don't need I don't need accolade. I don't need a title to function. I don't need somebody to, to laud anything that I do. I'm just available, you know. I just want to be there uh, to show love if God needs somebody to be loved that day. You know, I think human nature, everybody, we just want to be loved for who we are. And we want to be appreciated for what we do. Amen? I mean, if you make good enchiladas, don't you want somebody to say thank you? That's the best I ever had. 
You know, if, if no matter what you do, I mean, where's Samantha? Is she in here? Is she back there? You back there, baby? I'm telling you that food today was outstanding, and I deeply appreciate your gift. I'm telling you, I mean, God has given gifts and talents in every single one of us, and if we show up, we can love on people and thank them for what they do. And we can tenderize a heart that maybe have been hurt and wounded or maybe has it, doesn't realize the gift that's in them yet, and we can be there and available. And I just figure if I, get, if I show up, if I get there, God gets there. I'm like Refrigerator Perry. I can just, I got a refrigerator full of the goodness of God. I've got a refrigerator full of healing and anointing. A amen? Uh, but I want you to look at this, and I'll sit down. But I want you to see this in, in Philippians 1.10. And I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. Hello. It says, So that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value. How many of you know we may need to know some more about that? We may need to recognize the value and the excellence of the kingdom of God more than we do. Amen? Ask the Lord, just say, Lord, open my eyes to see what you see. Open my eyes, Lord, to see what you see, so that I may prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences, and that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless, so that with heart sincere, certain, and unsullied. That just means confident in God. Amen? You may approach the day of Christ not stumbling, nor causing others to stumble. That's a pretty good Christian. <laughs> that's somebody that's intelligent. That's somebody that understands value and excellence. I mean, uh, you know, Pastor Shipman uh, excels in the area of, of understanding some things in the financial world and understanding some many, everybody in here has some kind of level of excellence in your life that you do. And if you haven't figured that out yet, just spend more time, hit it in tongues like Terry Pearson says, just pray in tongues, get in there, begin to rejoice over the goodness of God in your life, and God will begin to show you creative things that will bring to light a gift that of excellence and value. I mean, don't think low thoughts, of, don't think low thoughts about yourself. Don't let any thought dwarf you about anything that you do. You know, we want to stay out of the two ditches of insecurity and the other ditch of pride. We can hold two thoughts in our head at the same time. We can actually obey God, have confidence, be able to discern what is excellent, what is good, and is what is of real value. Amen? And we can begin to have an intelligent realization of things that are around us and begin to think much higher thoughts than we've ever thought before because God's not holding anything back, just like hell isn't holding anything back right now. The kingdom of God is there to sh help you shine, not put your gift or talent under a bushel, under a table, under a basket. But God is, is here to help you shine. Jesus said, don't you know you're like a city set on a hill, and you cannot. I tell the devil all the time, I cannot be hidden. I, I mean, I pray mean. I cannot be hidden. I am full of the Holy Ghost, and what I say goes. Nothing is going to stop the blessing of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God from coming out of me. And the first place you start on, 
spiritual authority is with yourself. It starts in your prayer room. It starts in your heart. It starts in renewing your mind. It starts in you taking authority over the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, those three categories of sin. The devil's not that smart. He just comes against you where he knows your weaknesses are. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it's a no-brainer. You have to spend time finding out where you have left the door open. And if you'll begin to learn that and take verses like this, there's so much in Galatians. I, I Just going over some things tonight uh, in Galatians, that in itself, you know, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, all of those things in there, so much. The, you know, you were talking about seed time and harvest, darling. In Galatians chapter 6, it, Paul is so bold in there, he says, be assured. That means without question. Be assured. I mean, this is good news. Don't act like it's bad. Uh, be assured. God is not mocked. I mean, you mock God when you don't believe seed time and harvest works. He says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, what a promise. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, be assured, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow. Half of heaven is the accounting department. They're counting the hair on your head. They're counting, according to Malachi 3, every time you praise God, every time you talk about him. Malachi 3 says they, they keep a record of every word you said in praise towards God. And every time you talk about his name, your steps are ordered of the Lord. Every time you give, heaven accounts for it. Every time you sacrifice to do anything for somebody, heaven takes heed of that. Your acts are recorded in heaven. That's how, that's how Cornelius, God heard him and said he, he was aware of his alms he had given to the poor and he was aware of his prayers that had come up to heaven and says God heard it and he took notice of it. I mean, you think about that. Heaven is, is busy accounting for the very words that come out of your mouth. This is serious. This is lifestyle. <laughs> this is what will dig you out of, the, out, out of underneath the barrel. Who was it we were listening to? Brother Hagin said he was so, they were so poor. He said he, they didn't have anything. He said we weren't just, under, he, he said we didn't, what was it about? He said we were under the barrel. He said, he said we, we weren't at the bottom, we're just at the bottom. He said we were under the barrel. And what? And it was on top of us. You know, that may be where you start. But I challenge you tonight, start <laughs> where you are. I mean, old Shamgar there in Judges chapter 3, he didn't have anything but a jawbone of a donkey. And he, he started where he was. All I got is a, a, a jawbone here of a donkey. So, Holy Ghost, help, God help me. And he went out and killed 600 Philistines that had been marching through his bean patch. I'll show you guys which route to take from now on. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Those three things. The little, the little widow lady only had a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. But she gave it to God. And God supernaturally helped her feed her son and the prophet of God. The, Bi the Bible says over there in the margins for it, uh, for about a year. 
Isn't that something? I mean, start, Lord, all I got is this. Well, give it to God. Pray about it. See what the Lord will have you do. I mean, your value in the kingdom of God, God is not going to let you by his hand come to heaven with no fruit. His heart is to help you bear fruit in the earth. And start in the prayer room. That's the best place to start. Start sowing prayer. Start sowing compassion. Start sowing what you have into the kingdom of God. But don't just walk around and feel sorry for yourself. I don't have anything. Well, don't be lazy. That's lazy. That's exempting yourself from doing anything. God will help you. He'll show you what to do. And if, and, and if you were bedridden paraplegic, you could be fruitful in prayer. I'm telling you, don't ever think, I can't, I don't have, I, I, there's no way. Don't ever think those thoughts. You move out of that land of, of, of unfruitfulness and get over into a realm of being fruitful in the things of God. Hallelujah. Just all, lift your hands right now and offer yourself as a living sacrifice unto God. Father, I offer myself tonight as a living sacrifice. I have great value. I want to know what is excellent. I want to prize and change my value system and move up higher on the food chain to do the will and the work of God. I want more. I want to do more. I want to see your hand move on the lives of people, and I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service. Hallelujah. It's the least I could do. I want to offer it tonight for you to use it like never before till the day I die. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Good word. Thank you. Praise you. you got it? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, Renee's, uh, the Bible says you, that you ought to be apt to teach. <clears throat> and she's apt to teach at the drop of a hat, and she's willing to drop the hat. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I was just going to mention one thing to you. Some churches are, 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 are they buy products. That's just that's what they do. Every time you go there, they, they buy books, tapes, CDs, they buy it all. And, uh, and they're trained that way usually. Uh, and, uh, and some don't. Some just don't ever buy, buy anything. But uh, every now and then, you need to get a hold of something you can feed on. And I just our newest uh, CD we produced is called it's called Supernatural. Where are you from? And um, I was in a church in Missouri, and I and I had something in my spirit I wanted to preach because I wanted to finish. I'm about to do a book. I'm about to release a book on living to give. And um, and so in fact I'd love to preach that tonight. But um, um, th th when I got there, the pastor said, I, "Would you preach on the supernatural? Would you preach on miracles and the supernatural?" I said, "Well, sure." And so I went to prayer. I got the, you know, I was on Saturday night before I had to preach Sunday mornings because I went up there thinking I'd already prayed up about preaching on living to give. And, uh, and so I prayed about that night and jotted some notes down, got up early the next morning, prayed about it, jotted some notes down. And, and I preached a dynamite message. It was just from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost did it. And, uh, and uh, they just went wild over it. And then, then Renee and I went back to our program, our YouTube program, Terry Mines Ministries on YouTube. And if you haven't subscribed to that, it, we would appreciate it if you would. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free, and it will help us if you do it. Uh, just go, go to YouTube and do Terry Mize Ministries and hit the subscribe button, and that helps us. But um, uh, we did, what, eight sessions on this after we got home. We did eight sessions. Uh, and then we were at Nancy Dufresne's camp meeting. You guys were there. 
uh, recently uh, in early, early June. And uh, my dear friend Bill Winston was preaching and he started preaching on the fourth dimension. And I sat there on the front row and I didn't know whether to be mad, glad, happy, sad, proud, embarrassed, because he's preaching my message. And, and, and I've been preaching his message. We didn't hear it from either one. We, we, we got it from the Holy Ghost. And I'd sit there on the front row and he'd start to give a scripture and I'd lean over to Renee and I'd say, and I'd tell her the scripture he's going to. And sure enough, that's what he'd say. And then he'd start to tell a testimony and I'd lean over and say, he's going to tell this. Because that's what my notes say. It was shocking. That only happened to me one other time in 55 years of ministry. It was in 1976 in Odessa, Texas. And uh, I invited Dean and Renee to come down there and preach for a pastor friend of mine, Odessa. And so we got to church that night, and the pastor called Dean up to preach. And uh, I'm sitting there by my wife, Jackie, and by Renee. And uh, <clears throat> Dean started preaching on God's chastisement, how God chastises his people. The truth about temptations, testing, and trials. And I reached in my notebook and pulled my notes out and handed them to Renee. <clears throat> and they were word for word, line for line, scripture for scripture, example for example. And I hadn't heard him preach on that, and he hadn't heard me preach on it. Yeah. <clears throat> it's just the Holy Ghost. But anyway, I've been preaching on this, and I've been talking about the fourth dimension. I didn't know anybody else on the planet talked about that. And about a month ago, a lady came up to me, and she said, you know, I've been hearing Dr. Bill Winston. He's talking about the fourth dimension. I said, really? I said, I just made that up out of, out of the old science fiction movies. It says, the fourth dimension. You know, th th there's another world over here. Yes. It's just right here. You know, how do you think, where do you think those angels came from when they'd show up in the Old Testament, show up in the New Testament? They didn't, they didn't take those wings and just flap from heaven for about five light years yes. and then finally get there. Whew. No, they just stepped from there to here. Wow. And then when they got through, they just stepped back there. When they tried to push Jesus off the cliff, the Bible says that he, they took him to the edge of the cliff to push him down headlong, and he disappeared and said he passed through their midst. Well, what did he do? He just stepped into this world. And then when he got on the back behind the crowd, then he just stepped back in this world and kept on going. You know, Philip did the same thing. John chapter 6, Jesus went and got in the boat, uh, the, uh, walking on the water and got in the boat, and it says that there's a great calm, there's no wind, so the boat wasn't going anywhere because the wind couldn't blow. And... Uh, and then it, the ne very next scripture says, and immediately, when Jesus got in the boat, immediately the boat was at the, at the other side of the place where we intended to go. It's like, what? How'd he get there? Where'd he come from? You know, where'd the fish come from that, that broke the net? Where'd the, where'd the manna come from? Where'd the, where'd the ravens, uh, where'd the quail come from? You know, and so anyway, you'll, you'll really like this, and I would tell you nobody else is preaching this, but Bill Winston is. <laughs> I, I even said on our program, I said, I said, you, you get this, you'll hear some things you had never heard before. And, I'll, and, and I asked some pointed questions you probably had never heard before. And then I heard Bill do it, and I thought, well. <laughs> so it, it's a good tape, good series. You'll, you'll enjoy it. Either get mine or Bill's or both. They'll be good. You ready to get into the Word? Yeah. Go ahead and stand up with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your Word tonight. Thank you for ministering to us by the Holy Ghost. Pastor specifically, explicitly. Ask me to minister on spiritual authority, which I dearly love. That's my bread and butter. I've preached it all over the world. I'm known for it around the world, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to do it. 
Wouldn't plan on doing it this week, but I sure don't mind doing it because it's something that I live all the time. I have to live. It's kept me alive. It's, it's saved my life. It's made me money. It's, 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 kept, it's saved me money. It's helped me all my life, all over the world. It's changed people's lives all over the world. And, Father, every time I preach it, I learn something else. So I'm expecting to learn something tonight. Yeah. And I'm looking to hear from the Holy Ghost because yeah. he knows more about spiritual authority than I do. And so I thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, this morning, go ahead and be seated. This morning, we, I gave you an Old Testament scripture for a text. I gave you Genesis 1:26, and I said God uh, had made the earth, he had made the animals, he had made the flowers, he had made all the beautiful, everything in the earth, but he hadn't made man yet. And so in verse 26... He, he shows us his heart. We see right into his heart and see his vision, his plan, his dream, his desire. And he said, now. He's finished making this whole thing for us. Made it for us. And he said, now, let us make man, meaning men and women, in our likeness and in our image. Did you ever wonder what God looks like? Go look in the mirror. He looks like you. You're made in his likeness. Now take it from a missionary who's been to all the other gods of the world. There's some ugly gods in the world, man. There's some, there's some ugly gods in the world. And, and, and I go to India a lot. In India, they have, they have 330 million gods. I know that goes right over your head because we don't think like that, but it's 330 million gods. And some of those guys are ugly. And the best god they've got is a guy named Ram, and he's got an elephant's head, and he's got a whole bunch of hands and arms. I've always said Hinduism's a handy religion. They've got lots of hands. And, uh, and I've gone into to temples, and, and, and I've noticed, uh, you know, God's arms broken off or his hands broken off and laying over there in the corner, you know. And so I'll go up to a priest and say, hey, excuse me, I see, uh, I see your God's arms broken off or his hands broken off, and I see it laying over there in the corner. I said, I have a question. What, uh, who, who, uh, who makes your gods? And he says, well, our, our priests make our gods. I said, really? I said, down Christianity, our God makes our priests. And I said, so when one gets broke, like this guy here is broke, uh, who fixes your gods when they get broke? And well, our, our, our priests fix our gods. I said, really? I said, when our priests get broke, our God fixes our priest. You know? But, but, but I've, been, I've been at many births. You know, I'm, we had four kids, and we had eight grandkids. And then, and then being a missionary, I've delivered a bunch of babies around the world. Didn't want to, never didn't want to, never don't, don't, don't do it ever again. First one I ever delivered, I was 18 years old in the jungles of Panama, and Melina, I didn't know where babies came from. <laughs> We're talking 1968. Now, your kids get to pick up their telephone and can Google and watch a whole live birth anytime they want to and anything other vile stuff they want to watch. But we didn't do that in 1968. In 1968, we turned on television, and Desi and Lucy slept in separate beds <laughs> with pajamas. Leave it to Beaver's parents did the same thing. And everybody else on TV did the same thing. Right. Well, I didn't know where babies came from. I mean, you know, had a general idea. But I got down to Panama, and, and all of a sudden I'm the doctor because I'm a missionary. They treat missionaries like doctors, always have. They came to get me one day, and this little 13-year-old girl, number, wife number five of this guy, and she's having a baby. And they said, come quick, she's having a baby. I had seen her go to work that morning, so they, so she worked like a dog man she went out there and you know big and pregnant and i'd see her come back in the afternoon she'd be carrying a big old log she'd cut down you know and stuff like that and uh, and uh, they said come quick she's having a baby i said well congratulations good for her 
And they said, no, 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 you got to come. I said, no, 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 I don't. <laughs> they said, you're the missionary. You have to come help. I said, no, I don't. And they said, yes, you do. And so I went down there to this guy's hut, you know, built up on stilts, and I climbed up in the house. And here's this little 13-year-old girl. And the women don't wear tops. They just wear a skirt. And uh, she, she's there, and, and uh, she's squatting down on her knees. You know, she's sitting on her knees, you know, kind of like, like, no, like. And, and I looked there, and I said, I don't think that's right. I said, I think you're supposed to lay down. Because, you know, I hadn't been to the hospital to visit my mom and some cousins and people that had, had babies. And, uh, and, and she looked at me, and she said, she's scared out of her mind, you know, and she shook her head no, and I said, okay, never mind, never mind. I don't know what I'm talking about. And so they literally came to me and said, what do you want us to do? Well, it was an easy question. I watched Gunsmoke. <laughs> I, watched, I watched Ponderosa. I watched Bonanza. I've watched every old Doc Sawbones in every western town forever. I knew exactly what to do. I said, boil water. <laughs> That's what Doc said on Gunsmoke and every other cowboy show. So I said, go bring me some boiling water. They looked at me kind of weird, and they brought me some boiling water, just hot, big old tub of boiling water. And they said, what do we do with this? I said, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I'm 18 years old and don't have a clue what's going on. And I, somehow, somehow I knew, I don't know how I knew this, but somehow I knew I'm supposed to cut something. So I took my hunting knife and pitched it into boiling water. I've been skinning monkeys with it, you know, but I pitched it into boiling water. And then I, somehow I also knew I had to tie something up. I wasn't exactly sure how, but some, somehow, and so I grabbed some, I found some string, some, 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 you know, twine. I threw that in the boiling water. And then in a little bit, as it began to cool down, I, I washed my hands. You know, I, 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 it was pretty hot. You know, finally when it got where I could wash my hands, I washed my hands. So I got my knife and the twine and my hands clean. And I delivered this little girl and, and tied off the cord and cut it. <clears throat> and then I've delivered several since then. Don't ever want to deliver one again, but I have. So my point is this. Every time one of my babies is born, every time one of my grandbabies are born, every time I was there when her last baby, Abigail, was born, and I'm Abigail's godfather since the day she was born. Now I'm her stepdad. Yeah. Pretty soon I'll be her up my own grandpa. <laughs> <clears throat> She's 36 years old now and pregnant. She's got two or three little girls and pregnant with number four. And, uh, and so uh, we were there that day. So, so every baby I've ever seen, every newborn I've ever seen, I've said the same thing. I've taken them, I've held them in my hands, and I've said, thank God they don't look like Rom. Because God said, I'll make you in my image and my likeness. You look like God. He looks like you. Amen? Are y'all here? So he said, let us make man in our likeness, our image, and let them have dominion. Yeah. Not, not just power, not just authority, not just faith. That's, those are the strong words we use, faith, authority, power. God used a much stronger word. He said, I want my people to dominate. Yeah. I want my people to be the dominating factor on the earth. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want them, he said, let them have dominion over the fowl of the air, the birds, over the fish of the sea over the cattle, the beasts of the field, and over all the earth, which would mean droughts, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, 
wildfires, I mean, whatever, whatever is going on on the earth. God said, you have dominion over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Amen. So I gave you that scripture this morning in the Old Testament, gave you a bunch of Old Testament examples with kings and, and showed you how the, the kings weren't in charge, the prophets were. It was Samuel that was in charge. It wasn't Saul. It was, it was Nathan that was in charge. It wasn't David. It was, you know, it was Elijah that was in charge. It wasn't Ahab. It wasn't Jezebel, right? It, was, it wasn't Ahaziah. It wasn't those kings. It was the prophet that always was in charge. And, uh, and everybody knew that back in the day. And then, and then now we get in the New Testament. And, he, and, and Matthew 10.1 says, Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out. To do what? To cast them out. Not to count them, not to play with them, not to talk to them, not to gather them in little, in little deliverance bags and tell everybody about your deliverance ministry. No, God doesn't like unclean spirits, and he doesn't want you to like unclean spirits. And when you come across one, he wants you to cast it out. And it says, God called him, Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal. Power to heal, power to heal, power to heal. How many? All, A-W-L, all, along as we're in the Bible, all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Yeah, yeah but not cancer. No, all, man, yeah, but not AIDS. All, man, not COVID. All. There's not any disease anytime, anywhere that's, that's ever been built or will ever be invented in the future that you don't have authority and dominion over to heal. Amen. There is no incurable case. God's never met his first incurable case, and you're not it. Amen. And so Jesus gave them dominion. Dominion. What, what if the church believed? What if the church believed in Matthew 10.1? What if the church really believed we could walk right out of here and if we came across an unclean spirit, we could just cast it out and we came across somebody with some disease and some sickness, we could just heal them? Well, we'd cover the world like ants and bring back Jesus in two weeks. Isn't that right? And I've had people come to me and say, Now, nah, Brother Terry, that's not for everybody. That was just, He called his 12 disciples. That was just for them. Okay, forget that. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, he had that other 70 disciples. He had 82. He had 12 and then 70 more. 82. And uh, they're, out, they're out healing the sick and doing miracles and casting out devils and stuff. And they come back to him in Luke chapter 10, about verse 17, somewhere up in there, and said, Lord, this stuff works. He said, even, we're, we're having miracles right and left. We're having all kinds of miracles. And besides that, the demons are subject to us in your name. Yes. And Jesus said, well, duh. <laughs> claro que sí. I mean, of course, what'd you expect? And Jesus said, hey, don't get excited about that. He said, don't get excited the devils are subject to you in my name. Of course he is. He said, he said I was there. Talk about somebody has been there and done that. Jesus said, I was there. The day that he tried to rise up the sides of the north and overthrow the great king and take over heaven, and I watched my daddy take him and kick him out of heaven, and I saw him fall like lightning. He's nobody. You should not be excited because he's subject to you. Of course he's subject to the name of Jesus. I was there and saw him fall. He said, but you need to get excited because your names are written in heaven. You ought to be excited about that. And then in verse 19, he says, now behold, or look, or pay attention, or listen to me, look up here. I give you power. Power. That's the... That's the, the Greek word uh, exousia. 
meaning authority or power. I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, all the power, and that's the word dunamis. He used two words there for power. Exousia up here, dunamis here. I give you power or authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the dunamis of the enemy. Dunamis is where we get our word dynamite from. So he's saying, I give you authority over all to tread on serpents and scorpions and over, over, all, over all the dynamite of the devil. Yes. All the explosive power of the devil. I give you authority over that. Wow. And he, then he said this, and nothing. No thing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, no thing, nada, in ningún manera, nada, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Can we believe that? What if the church believed Matthew 10, 1 and Luke 10, 19? What if we believe we could walk right out of here and if there's a snake there or a scorpion there that wouldn't bother us a bit, we'd just, you know, I'm about to do a pastor's conference in the island of, the island of Malta, which the Bible calls the island of Melita, where Paul was shipwrecked and got bit by a snake, and he, a poisonous snake, the Bible said, a venomous viper, and he just went over and shook it off in the fire. It didn't bother him at all because he understood what Jesus said, Right? And so what if we believe we can just go out and, and the, those things wouldn't bother us and that we had authority and power and dominion over all the dynamite of the devil and no thing, nothing by any means hurt you. What if you believed you were invincible, the devil can't hurt you? Well, we'd cover the world like ants and bring back Jesus in two weeks. So we've got Old Testament, we've got New Testament. Same thing. They tried to kill Jesus, and he said, listen, you tried to kill me a lot of times, and I wouldn't let you, but now I'm ready. And he said, but you don't take my life. I give it. You're playing right into my hands. Don't you know I can crucify you? And Jesus said, don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels? And there wouldn't be anything left of Jerusalem but a bloody, greasy spot where it once was. I mean, 12 legions. And we, we used to sing that song in church when I was a little boy. So we, he could have called 10,000 angels. Oh, no. 6,000 to a legion, 6 times 12, 72. He said, I could call 72,000 warrior mad angels. Don't you know those angels were on their feet and about to mutiny against God in heaven when that was going on? Don't you know they were standing there looking like. <laughs> And, and, and the father's saying, stand down, guys, stand down. But it's Jesus, Father, they're pulling his beard out. They're beating him. They're beating his, his intestines are hanging out. They're beating him with, with a whip of nine tails with metal and bone. It, stand down, guys, this is on purpose. We're doing this on purpose. This is the plan. But, Father, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Let us go. 72,000 of them, led by Michael and by Gabriel. These are the guys that took Pharaoh's chariot wheels off and killed him in the Red Sea. These are the guys that threw hailstones in Joshua chapter 10 and killed the enemy. The Bible says more of the enemy died from the hailstones than died from the war. These guys are bad dudes, man. I mean, these are warriors. And Jesus said, I could call 12 legions of them. You think you, you, think you can kill me? You think you've got power over me? You think you've got power? 
I can call 12, I can call 72,000 warrior angels mad and there would be nothing left here. But so help me God I won't because I'm here on purpose. This is part of the plan. I'm going to die for the world so they can live. But don't you ever think he was a sissy and he, could, he couldn't have gotten out of that? I told you this morning, God had all those martyrs, all the 12 apostles of the Lamb, all martyred. I personally believe, my personal opinion is, it's not Bible, but it's personal opinion. I believe, I believe they were all martyred just to prove to everybody that Jesus really rose from the dead because they're the only one that knew whether he did or not. We don't know. We just believe it. We didn't see it. We didn't see it. We can't prove it. We don't know, but we believe it. But those guys knew. They knew if it was a lie or not. Pharaoh, uh, or Herod had his soldiers tell everybody that the disciples came and stole the body away so they could keep their ministry going. I don't know for what point that would have been. So you'd think when they were skinning them alive and they were killing them and killing their grandbabies in front of their eyes and killing their wives in front of their eyes, you'd think somebody would have said, if it was a con, if it was a sham, if it was a fake, if it was a lie, you'd think one of them said, hey, forget, don't, no, no, don't kill my babies. I'll show you where the body's buried. It's all a lie. Jesus is dead. He didn't rise from the dead. But not one of them recanted. Not one of them. Not one of them. And then 500 people saw him go up into heaven. So they knew it was true. Right? And so then you get Peter. Acts chapter 5 is preaching a sermon in church, taking up an offering. Y'all may not like offerings, you may not like long offerings, but Peter was taking offerings and he was taking a long offering. And uh, right in the middle of the offering, a guy named Ananias came sashaying down the aisle. And he said, Brother Peter, my sweet little wife Sapphira and I sold our goods and decided to just give it to the church, give it to the Lord. And here it is. And Peter said, you lying dog. He said, Satan's filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. You didn't have to sell your stuff. You didn't have to give God anything. But you lied to the Holy Ghost. You're a dead man. And he died on the spot, and they carried him out. Three hours later, the offering's still going on. Three hours later, the offering's still going on. I bet they got serious after Ananias died. So here comes Sister Sapphira. I don't know where she's been the last three hours, shopping, I guess. I don't know. And she comes sashaying down the aisle, and she says, Brother Peter, my husband Ananias, Brother Ananias and I, we just sold our goods and decided just to give it to the church, give it to the Lord. Praise the Lord. And he said, Lady, the same feet that carried your lying husband's carcass out of here is going to carry your lying carcass out of here. You're a dead woman. And she died, and they carried her out. Now, see, that, that was because the, 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 the apostle said it. That was based on what he said. God didn't just kill her. Peter did that. And then in Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul was trying to get some people saved, and one guy was a, was a deputy in a town, and he'd been, been, been messed with by a sorcerer, by a witch doctor, who called himself the son of Jesus. He called himself Bar-Jesus. Bar means son of. So he called himself Jesus' boy. Jesus' kid. Son of Jesus. And uh, he didn't want this deputy to get saved, so he kept harassing him while Paul was trying to get him saved. 
And so the Apostle Paul just turned to him, looked at him, and said, You child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, because of what you've done, you're going blind. You're losing your sight. They'll lead you away from here by the hand. And sure enough, he went blind and led him away. Now, see, that was under grace. And I said, the fire was under grace. That's New Testament. That's, the, that's after the Holy Ghost has come. Yes. A lot of people today now, they say, oh, no, but they we're, we're under grace. Nothing bad happens. No, no, God let anything bad happen. No, you better read your Bible. Right. That was under grace. That was New Testament. The Holy Ghost has come. It's here. And Peter cursed those two and they died. And then Paul cursed that guy and he went blind. Amen. And then Acts chapter 12, Herod, King Herod, the very first verse says Herod killed the Apostle James. King James said he killed him by the sword. Bible history says he cut his head off. Same thing. Cut his head off. And it says that, uh, it says that Herod saw that it pleased the Jews. So he said, I'll just kill Peter. They liked it when I killed James. I'll just kill Peter. And so he immediately had Peter arrested, put him in prison, and said, I'll have, him, I'll have him executed after Easter. This is Acts chapter 12. You read it. I'll have him executed after Easter. And he put Peter in this jail cell and assigned 14 soldiers to guard him, put him in the second ward of the prison. This is maximum security. Past the first ward into the second ward of the prison. And 14 soldiers assigned to watch him, two soldiers sleeping in the cell with him, and two soldiers outside the cell, and then the others were on rotation and came, came you know, rotated back and forth. But had four, four guards with him at all times, and he's chained with two chains. Now, there's no way out of this. This is maximum security. And he says, after Easter, I'll kill him. And the church said, no, no, you're not. They said, you killed James, that's on us. We, we were asleep. I told you this morning, the church has a history of going to sleep. The church is always, all throughout history, the church has had a history of going to sleep. God just does something great, and then the church is glad about it for 15 minutes, and then they're either asleep or griping. Right? And so the church said, no, you, you know, that's, that's on us. You killed James, that's on us. We were asleep. You're not killing Peter. And it says the church went to prayer without ceasing. Yes. See, we don't even know what that means anymore. The church went to prayer without ceasing. They did not stop. They prayed nonstop to rescue Peter. And because they prayed, God sent an angel. And that angel right here in the fourth dimension, right here in this world, the real world right here. See, Paul made it very plain to us there's two worlds. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, Paul says it like this. It sounds like double talk, but if you stop and read it slow, it's not double talk. He's telling you something. He says, while we look not at the things we can see. See, we're trained all our life. We're trained by school. We're trained by parents. We're trained by our own experience. We're trained by our friends. We're trained by everything that the five physical senses are real. If we can see it, it's real, taste it, it's real, touch it, it's real, smell it, it's real, hear it, it's real. That chair is real. I can see that chair. It's real. That's what we're trained to do. But Paul said that's not true. Paul said we don't look at the thing we can see. He said we look at the things we cannot see. This world over here. He said because the things we can see are temporal. Or they're temporary. Or they're perishable. 
decades ago when I was a young missionary, I used to do a lot of missions conferences for pastors that had me come in and preach on missions for three days and then raise their missions offering for them, raise their budget. And, and I'd stop at every town. Every time I'd go into a town to preach a missions conference for somebody, I'd go to a local print shop. And uh, I'd go to the printer and I'd say, I, I need some stickers printed up, several thousand, and I want them to be about this wide and about this long, and I want to have one word on them, big, bold, black, capital letters, perishable. Perishable. And so then I'd take those to church. In fact, Renee had some made the other day. You have some with you? They're in our truck. They're in our, our truck at the hotel. And, uh, but uh, I was surprised she came in and showed them to me. I said, she had those made. I hadn't seen those in years. But I'd just take them to the church and give them to people. I'd say, here, take 10 of them, 15 of them, 25 of them, take 100, take 1,000. I don't care what you take. Take them home. Take these perishable stickers home so you get a visual, so you understand the seriousness of this, and just put one on everything you see. Put one on your house, perishable. It's not going to last. doesn't matter if it's made of wood, hay, or stubble. doesn't matter if it's made of brick or wood. It doesn't matter. It's not going to last. Put one on your car. Put one on the stereo. Put one on the bass boat. Put one on your jewelry. Put one on your clothes. Put one on your head, you know. How many of y'all have looked in the mirror lately? You don't look like you used to. <laughs> Things are perishable. Yeah. They're going south. Yeah. I was somewhere the other day and a bunch of teenagers saw a, a, an elderly lady, little little gray-headed lady, and she's, you know, she's kind of walking slow and bent over a little bit, and they, they, they started making fun of her. And I said, hey, hey, hey. I said, I said y'all think you're really cute, and you are. Some of you girls are really cute. I said, she used to look like you. In fact, she's probably prettier than you. I said, y'all forget that they're real people. They had real lives. They had real jobs and real careers and, and, had, and had romances and had dating and marriages and kids. And, you know, and you, you kind of act like they, they're not real. And I said, and you're going to look just like this. You're not going to stay young and cute like that and all, everything all tight. And, yep. <laughs> no, things are going to go south. I was on a cruise ship with my wife here a few years back, and a couple of elderly ladies, now I say elderly, I'm 73. They were older than me. A couple of ladies passed us, and they were in their evening gowns going to dinner. And they're just walking side by side with you, walking regal. And on the back, one of them had a big tattoo. And it had been there so long that it was sagging. <laughs> and I saw another one, and, and on her back, on her back above her bikini, out of the pool, it said, Forever 18. <laughs> and it was sagging pretty good. <laughs> and she obviously hadn't thought that through when she was 18. <laughs> but she used to be 18. Her body used to be tighter yeah. and straighter. Yes. But I said, take, take them in these stickers and stick them on your head. I said, you may, you may, spend, you may go to the best clothing store down here in, in Los Angeles and spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a suit or on a dress, yeah. on a pair of shoes. And I mean, you walk by one, one wall that's got a snag thing on it, and, and it's ruined. Yeah. Just like that, it's gone. It's perishable. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. I mean, you walk in that shoe and all of a sudden twist something and the heel breaks off. It's not going to last. I see people buy a brand new car. Man, when they go to 
Lowe's or, or Costco or Sam's or Walmart, they'll park way out in the parking lot yeah. and take up four places. They'll park where they're, they're occupying four places so nobody can open the door and, and den it. And they just, they just live in torment for weeks and months, lay in bed at night and say, oh my God, somebody's going to dent my And I always say, look, when you buy a new car, just, just kick a dent in it and get it over with. <laughs> then, there's no more, then there's no more sleepless nights and no more fear. Just, get, just do it and get rid of it. Because it's going to happen. Yeah. If it's in this world, it's perishable. Yes. See, Paul said, we don't look at this world. This world is not the real world. It's real to us. We contact it. It's like our body. You know, th this body is how I contact Renee. You know, and I'll hold her hand, and I'll pet her, you know, and, and I'll rub her, you know, and we'll kiss or we'll whatever. And uh, that's how we connect. But that's not her. And if she dies before I do, and she will die, and so will I. If Jesus doesn't come first. But if she dies before I do, then I'm going to have to do something with this body. That's right. She's not going to die. She'll still be alive. Yes. But her body is going to fall to the floor. That's right. And I'm going to have to do something with it. And the reason we cry at a funeral, the reason we, when somebody does that, is because we love that body. To us, that's them. To us, that's how we contact them. That's how we, that's how we commune with them. That's how we, that's how, you know. But, but once the body dies and the spirit goes to heaven, or God forbid hell, then we can't just leave the body laying there. We've got to either bury it or cremate it or we've got to do something with it. But it's not them. Jesus made that really plain in Luke chapter 16. He said there was, a, there was a certain rich man. Anytime Jesus used the word certain, that means this isn't a parable. This isn't a, an analogy. This isn't a, an example. This isn't a story. This is a real story. This is, a real, this is true. It's a horror tale. Worse than anything Hollywood could think of. Worse than anything Stephen King could write. And he said there was a certain rich man. Uh, there's a certain uh, rich man. Uh, and there was a certain beggar. And he tells you his name is Lazarus. Fared sumptuously. Amen? Amen. Yeah, he said the rich man fared sumptuously. And, and, and a certain beggar named Lazarus that, that, that begged for crumbs from the rich man's table. And then Jesus, Jesus telling the story in Luke 16. He says, and, and, and the, the beggar died, Lazarus died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And he said this, he said, and the rich man also died and was buried. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, Jesus said, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, plural. Wow. Torments, plural. Being in torments, plural. You ought to read Luke 16. Because Christians, they'll tell you, oh, brother, there's no hell. And it's not hot and there's no fire. Oh, no, you need to read Luke 16. Yes. And Jesus said that rich, that rich man saw, so he had, his, he had his, all his faculties. He could see, he could hear, he could see. Taste, he could touch, he could, yes. he could feel. Yes. You know? He saw, that rich man saw Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom across a great cavern, and he said, Father Abraham. He had speech, he had recognition. He said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus, the guy I despised all my life, send Lazarus 
just to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame. Second time he used the word torments. I'm tormented in this flame. Jesus said there's flames. And it's hot. And it's miserable. And he said the fire never stops and the worm doesn't die. Right? And Abraham said, son, we can't do that. There's a great chasm fixed between you and us. And those that would come from you to here can't. And those that would come here to there can't, can't do it. So that rich man said, then Father Abraham, please send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren. That he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Third time he used the word term. He used it four times. That's the third time. See, see, in Hollywood, they always make fun of hell and always make you think there's a party going on yeah. and that everybody wants you to come there together. Uh-huh. And then you see these tough guys on TV and he, somebody says, go to hell or I'll see you in hell. He said, he said well, I'll see you there. Or, I'll be there. For, no, that's no, no, no. They're not going to be happy when they get there. No, no. Right. It's a bad place. Yeah. And Abraham said, that can't be done. He said, they've got, they've got Moses and the prophets. In other words, they've got church and the word. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one went to the dead, from the dead, they would repent. So he knew what they needed. He said they need to testify to him, to them, and they need to repent. You get real smart when you get to hell. All of a sudden, the rich man in hell knew what needs to be done. They need somebody to testify to them, and they need to repent. So you know people that need to be testified to. Some of your friends, some of your relatives, what they need is somebody to testify you don't have to preach to them and be some religious nut. You just can just say, you know, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. That's right. That's right. You know, I used to drink or smoke or, or dip, chew, cuss, spit, whittle, murder, whatever you did. And Jesus helped me. Or I used to be sick and God healed me. Yes. And uh, he'll do the same thing for you. Yes. You tell them what Jesus did for you and what he'll do for them. Right. You testify. That's it. Brother Osteen used to say, nobody, nobody can tell your testimony like you. So he knew they needed testified to, and he knew they needed to repent. If they get testified to and they repent, they won't come to this horrible place. That's right. See, he didn't want his brothers to come be with him. Isn't that amazing? This place of torment. Are y'all here? That was a little side trip I took. We're supposed to be talking about spiritual authority. But I'm a missionary, so I can't help it. You know, we won't get people saved. God needs a family, wants a family. So, Luke chapter 10, 19, and Mark chapter 10, 1 is New Testament showing us that he's given us authority. He's given us dominion. We gave Old Testament this morning, New Testament tonight, authority and dominion. Now, let me, now I told you this morning, I had to learn about spiritual authority. I didn't know. It took me a long time. God started trying to get it across to me when I was just a kid. When I was a teenager, and in fact, I remember one time when Jackie and I were engaged to be married, she got some kind of a medical thing wrong with her. I don't know if it, I don't remember if it was a kidney thing or a gallbladder thing or something. You know, she's just 18 or something, 19, and uh, she had to go to the hospital. Well, her parents lived in Oklahoma City, and we were in Midland, Texas. And so the doctors came, when I, when I took her up there, then the doctors came to me and said, uh, uh, she needs surgery. And uh, uh, we need permission. Are you the husband? And I said, no, I'm fiancé. They said, well, then you don't count. 
They said, we got, we got to have somebody with authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, well, our parents are coming down from Oklahoma City. They'll be here tomorrow. They said, okay, we'll, we'll wait till tomorrow. But we got, and, and, and I remember saying to Jackie Marcus, I said to her, I said, this will never happen again. We'll get married. <laughs> and, uh, and we were just they weren't we living together or shacking up or anything. I just happened to be the guy that took her to the hospital, you know. So, uh, and so I said, this will never happen again. I said, when we get married, never again will I not be in authority. And so God's always dealt with me about this authority thing. I just always trying to trying to grab it and, and, and figure it out. So let me give you a couple of quick. Te- can I tell you a couple of testimonies about this? Um, one year. Well, let me back up. Jackie's mother and dad uh, divorced when she was a teenager. Okay. So they were divorced for numbers of years. Jackie and I got married. Um, her mother hated my guts. She didn't know me, and I don't blame her for hating my guts because the story she got was Jackie's met this kid in Texas, and he's going to take her to the mission fields. He's going to be a missionary and take her to the mission fields. And so she saw her baby going to the mission fields, any grandbabies born in the mission fields. Missionaries are poor, missionaries are sick, missionaries have no money. And this idiot's taking my baby to Me- deep, darkest Mexico. I didn't blame her a bit for hating me. But after a couple of years of being married and she saw how I treated her, she's my biggest fan, man. She loved me dearly. We were tight. In fact, she'd fuss at Jackie all the time. She'd say, you get up here and take care of that man. You get up and make him some breakfast. You, you take care of him. He, he, he takes care of you. He loves you. You know, she's on Jackie all the time. And she just thought I was great. Well, she met a man, nice gentleman, that was a, a, a college professor. Just a very nice guy. And, you know, well-spoken, kind, considerate, you know, just, just a nice guy. And he was a Baptist. He knew nothing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He knew nothing about speaking in tongues. He knew nothing about the gifts of the Spirit and healing and miracles and all that. He just loved God and went to the Baptist church. So they came to me and said, we've fallen in love. We've met and fallen in love. Would you marry us? Would you perform the ceremony and marry us? And I said, well, sure. And they didn't want a big church. They just went in, in, in their, her son's living room, Jackie's brother's living room. So sure, we all gathered in the living room and I performed the ceremony and they're married well they hadn't been married very long not even I don't think even a year maybe it's pushing the boundaries of a year I don't know and uh, and she began to really develop some serious asthma problems and so one day it was about maybe maybe May and uh, we always go to Brother Hagen's camp meeting which is always Tulsa Oklahoma the last week of June uh, last week of July always and this was 1978. He had his first one in 74. I was there. And then we went every year. So this was 1978. So it's like May. And so coming up, it's going to be camp meeting in July. And so we was messing around the house one day. And I said, hey, darling, I got an idea. I said, why don't you go out and see your mom? She lived about 200 miles away. I said, why don't you go out and see your mom and invite her to Brother Hagen's camp meeting? And I said, tell her we'll pay for it. She can drive with us. And, and we'll get her a hotel room. And, and we'll pay her expenses and her food and whatever else she needs, and we'll take her to camp meeting. And then I want to personally introduce her to Brother Hagen, and I want the prophet of God to pray for her, and I believe if Brother Hagen prays for her, she'll be healed. Yeah. And Jackie said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And I said, okay, super. Oh, we're just all happy about it. And so after two or three days, she gathered the, the, the two babies that we had. We had four total. But well, I, guess, I guess at that time we did have four 
Christy was probably just a, yeah, because Christy was born in January of 78. So we had four. And so she gathered the kids up, and she drove out there and see her mom. And had a good visit with her and her new husband. His name was Paul. But she comes back after four or five days, and she says, uh, darling, said, mother said she wouldn't come to Tulsa with us. And I said, what? And she said, mother says she, she's, she's not going to come to camp meeting with us. And I can't explain to you, Tammy, there's no way I can explain how mad that made me. I've never been that mad in my life. And it embarrassed me I was so mad. I mean, it literally embarrassed me. If, I, if I'd known any cuss words, I'd have said them. I mean, I just, I was just so angry. And I was so angry, I was embarrassed that I was so angry. I couldn't figure out, what is wrong with you? I even told myself, I said, millions of people don't come to camp meetings. So what? What do you care? And Jackie said, darling, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. She said, why are you so angry? I said, I don't know. I even told her, I said, I'm embarrassed I'm so angry. But I mean, this went on for days and days and days. It didn't get better. I'd wake up mad. I'd go to bed mad. And I wasn't that kind of person. I hadn't been that way. But I mean, I was just livid, mad, angry. And I just, and every now and then I'd say, I can't believe she won't come to, what's wrong with her? What, why, did you, did you tell her I really wanted to go? Yeah, baby, I told her, but she, she, because her, his first wife had died of cancer. And I think she had maybe gone to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting and didn't get healed. And he, he didn't want to go through that again. I was, I think was the, seems like was the story they told. It doesn't matter. And, uh. Anyway, time got closer and closer, and I'm just, I'm just mad, and I'm embarrassed I'm mad. Jackie thinks I'm weird. I think I'm weird. And uh, finally, it comes time to go to camp meeting. So we left our kids with my mom, and we drove to Tulsa from Texas. And uh, we got a, a hotel, and we went to all the, the, the whole week. You know, it starts on Monday night, ends on Saturday night. We went the whole thing, day and night. And uh, Dean and Renee were there, you know, and we, we visited with them, and, and we, we were good friends. And uh, so we just had a great time all week long. And then when, when it was over Saturday night, then we stayed over and went to church the next morning. Buddy Harrison had started a church that same year. And uh, so we went to his church that morning. And then I don't know how many of y'all know who Bill and Janie Grind were. They, Danny was a great songwriter and very, very popular back in those days. And, right. and uh, so we ran around with Bill and Janie. We ran around to several other preachers, friends of mine. And, 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 and so all day Monday then, we just... Hung out with friends, had breakfast with friends, lunch with friends, dinner with friends. And uh, then late that night, we got back to our hotel, and then we are leaving the next day. And uh, when we walked in our hotel late that night, there's no cell phones, this is 1978. <laughs> so when we got back to our, our, our hotel room, the message light was flashing on the phone. So I went over and picked it up and called the office and said, do I have a message? And they said, yeah, Mr. Myers, uh, your, your home called and said it's an emergency call home. So I said, okay. So I hung up the phone, called home. Jackie's uncle, her, her mother's only brother, answered the phone. And I said, hey, Unc, um, I got a message that there's an emergency. What's, what's happening? What's going on? And he said, Terry, he said, Jackie's mom died today. And I said, what happened? And he said, she just, just had a bad attack of asthma, and we rushed her to the hospital, but they couldn't save her, and she died. And I'm sitting there on the phone thinking, i got to hang this phone up and tell my wife her mother's dead. And Jackie's over there getting ready for bed. So I hung the phone up, and I walked over and put my arms there, and I said, Baby, that was Unc. And he says, uh, Your mom 
had a bad asthma attack today and they took her to the hospital, but they couldn't save her and she, she, she passed away. And so we're both just devastated, we're both crying. And uh, it's an 11 hour drive out there. And so I told Jackie, I said, I said, we're not gonna get any sleep tonight, let's don't even, let's just pack and leave. So we'll just drive all night, 11 hours, and we'll be there in the morning, you know, to be with the family. And so she's packing and I'm packing and where she's crying and I'm crying. But I'm real ticked off. And I'm saying, Lord, what's the deal? What's the deal? That's Jackie's mama. That's my, that's my mother-in-law. That shouldn't happen without me knowing it. I should know what's going on. You don't do things without talking to me. What's the deal? How come I didn't know this? And so I'm just kind of bugged in packing. And the Lord said this to me. He said, uh, he said, Jackie's mother has not asked you to pray for her since the day you married them. And I said, what? I said, is that right? Are you sure? And he didn't answer me. And so I said, uh, darling, she said, what? I said, has your mom asked us to pray for her since the day she married Paul? And she said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, I don't know either, but think about it. It's important. I don't know why it's important, but I knew God said it. It must be important. And I said, think about it, because they hadn't been married all that long, so it didn't have to take a lot of thinking. So she sat down, and she said, I don't think she has. I don't think so. You see, before, she called us for everything. I mean, if she's sick, call the kids. Find the kids. I don't care where they are in the world. Find them. Get them to pray. She had faith in our faith. If we prayed for her, she'd be healed, and she was every time. If it was financial, find the kids. If it was sickness, find the kids. If it, it didn't matter what it is, find the kids. Find Terry and Jackie. And so they'd find us, and we'd pray, and she'd be fine. And she said, no, I don't think she has, not since she got married. She said, so, so, what, so, so what? I said, I don't know. And I turned to the Lord, and I said, okay, she hadn't, so what? And the Lord said, you used to be her spiritual authority. Now, remember, I'm still learning about spiritual authority. I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting all this. I'm trying to latch on to it. And he said, you used to be her spiritual authority. She had faith in your faith. And as soon as he said that, I knew it was true. I knew that anytime she needed anything, she called me. Did, did that, I, I knew that was a true statement. As soon as God said it, I said, oh, yeah, I got that. He said, but, but the day she married Paul, he said, she doesn't know she did this, but she transferred her spiritual authority to him. I mean, she didn't do it on purpose. She didn't say, I hereby transfer my spiritual authority to my new husband. No, there, she didn't consciously do it. It was a subconscious thing that she's now his wife, and she subconsciously transferred the spiritual authority from me, which I didn't even know I had, and right. she probably didn't know it either, right. to him. And the Lord said to me, and that would have been okay if he had the goods, but he didn't. And so she died. It would have been fine if she had to transfer her spiritual authority to him and he knew what to do. If he had had what I had, it would have been okay. But he didn't, and so it wasn't okay. And I tell you, that was an expensive, costly, hurtful lesson that I learned. But I said, oh, uh-huh, there's something to this. And uh, that's why I was so mad. It wasn't me that was mad at all. It was the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost knew she was going to die. And that if she'd go to Tulsa with us, we'd get her healed. And it was the Holy Ghost in me that was mad. It wasn't me mad at all. And that's why I couldn't figure out what's wrong with me. 
But you know what? I didn't, tra- I didn't figure all that out until about four more people died. It took me a while because I got mad again here months later or a year later and like, why am I so mad? This is kind of like when Jackie's mom died. What, what's the deal? And then that person died. And then it happened again. I said, wow, I'm so mad. It's just like when Jackie's mom died and that other deal, you know. And, then that per- and every time somebody died, and finally my, my lightning fast brain finally said, I know why I'm getting mad. <laughs> this, is a, this is a spiritual thing. Every time this has happened, somebody's died. Amen. See, we, we need to be, all of you, every person on the planet has spiritual authority. You know, you have spiritual authority over you. Contrary to what Joe Biden says, you have spiritual authority over your children. They're not his. They're yours. They have no right over your children whatsoever. The school has no right over your children. The government has no right over your children. Those are your children, and you and you alone have spiritual authority for them. It's just inherent. It's automatic. The day they were born, you got spiritual authority. Yes, that's right. You have spiritual authority in your marriage. Hopefully your husband and wife are in agreement. And so it's a good, solid spiritual authority instead of a fight. Yes. can be a fight because, you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't come to church or she doesn't come to church. And so there's a, there's a split there, yeah. you know. Talking to a couple last week, and he goes to one church and she goes to another church. That's not ever good. You know, and she's asking me questions about spiritual authority. And she's a sweetheart and loves us and looks to me as her spiritual dad. And I said, well, honey, you know, I said, really, you're the, you're the spiritual one in the family. I know he's the husband, but <laughs> you know so much more than he does spiritually. I said, I would think you would carry spiritual authority more than he would. And I said, you can't give him spiritual authority in some areas that he doesn't know what he's doing. You've got to maintain it over you and your, your kids. Right? Are y'all here? Amen. You've got authority over your house. You've got authority over your stuff. You've got authority in your city. When certain things happen, you have authority in your city, your county, your state. But spiritual authority wanes depending on what the circumstances are. Let me give you a good example. Let's say, let's say I'm in Texas. We live in Texas. And y'all are having, say, a, a, a wildfire out here. That's dangerous. Y'all do that a lot, it seems like. And you, you, Renee and I get bugged about it because we've got so many friends in California. So we start praying about it. Well, we can pray the prayer of agreement. We can pray the prayer of petition. We can pray and intercede and ask God to help. But we don't have the authority like we do in Texas, in California, unless you call me and say, Brother Terry, uh, fire's headed to my town or my house. Uh, pray with me. And you, you give me spiritual authority. Does that make sense? Yes. See, when I'm up here preaching, somebody comes up to me in the prayer line, and they say, Brother Terry, would you pray for my husband or pray for my child? Well, they're, they're giving me spiritual authority to speak into that other person's life. Amen. That's their child. That's their wife, their husband. And so they're saying, you, would you pray for them? Well, sure. I'll pray based on your spiritual authority. Otherwise, I'm just praying a prayer of agreement or the prayer of intercession or the prayer of general prayer, which is fine, but it doesn't carry the weight. Are y'all here? Let me see if I can break this down even a little, little further. Because um, I'm trying to give you some good enough examples that you really get it, and yet I'm watching the clock trying not to keep you all night, too. So, uh, but I want you to get this. Amen. Um, in an American wedding, 
in an American wedding, we have a thing built into an American wedding called the giving away of the bride. Really stupid. Because what you should call it is the transferring of spiritual authority. So in any typical American wedding, um, the door opens over here and the preacher comes out. And he's probably in sin if he's agreed to marry this couple without giving them any counseling and really hearing from God. If he just said, you want them, you want them, you got them, I'll perform the ceremony, then he's not very cool. Uh, and so the preacher comes out and he stands up here. And he's, got his fa he's in the preacher stance like this. And followed, following him is the groom and the groomsman, his buddies. They may have been out drinking all night. Who knows what they've been doing. And they come in, and they stand on this side. And then everybody's turned around looking this way because the, the bride's going to come from that way. So they're all turned around this way. And this guy here, the groom, he's he just grinning like a possum and salivating, thinking about what's going to happen tonight. <laughs> and now if he's a godly man and has spiritual authority, well, this is all cool. But most likely he's not. More often than not, that's not gonna, the case. It's just that he has nice hair and nice car and she liked it and she has a good figure and, and he liked her and so they're getting married and they're totally stupid and don't have any idea what they're doing. All right? And so all American weddings start when the mom, the bride's mom comes in and sits down. In case you don't know it, all American weddings are about the bride's mom and the bride. They have nothing to do with the groom or anybody else. In fact, I get irritated when somebody wants me to marry him and the groom wants to get all involved in it. I say, hey, man up. Be a man. Go, go, go away. I said, she has played bride and wedding all her life with her mom. She's got wedding books and wedding magazines and she's played marriage and she's played bride and she's played, she's done this her whole life. You've never thought about it before. So get your nose out of it. You don't need to have any special songs or special ideas. You're, you're nobody. You're just the, you're just the, you're just the, you're just the decoration up here. So, so leave us alone and let the preacher and the bride's mom and the lady and the bride figure this out. We'll get it done. You know, so then that's personal opinion. That has nothing to do with the Bible. That's Terry Mize's opinion. So finally, this door opens, and the, the, the little girls come out, the flower girls come out, and the bridesmaids come out, and they all come out, and they all stand over here. And they're all looking. When the bride's mama has sat down, it starts. That's the deal. And so they're all looking this way. They're all looking this way. And then they play the wedding march, and here comes dad and the bride. And they do their little two-step, you know, and they come down, you know, and they come all the way down the center aisle, and mom is sitting right here. She's always sitting on the second row in seat, right here. And so when bride and dad get even with her right here, they stop. They stop right here. And dad's on this side and bride's on this side. And so then, then the preacher asks this dumb question. And he says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Now, I say it's dumb. It's not so dumb if you've explained it to them. I don't marry anybody because I go through all this. And say, oh, you're going to have to learn what this is about before I'm going to have a hand in, in doing something I'm going to have to repent to God over. So who gives this woman to be married to this man? 
And so the dad makes this deadly statement, or good statement, depending on the state of this clown up here. <laughs> and the dad says, her mother and I do. Do what? Do give her away. Do what? Do transfer spiritual authority. So dad uh, raises her veil, kisses her on the cheek, marches forward a couple of steps, and, and groom marches over here a couple of steps, and dad does this solemn act that could be a really bad mistake and puts her hand in his hand. Okay? And then dad comes back over here, crawls over mom and sits right there, never to be seen or heard from again. He's done. It's over. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that if this guy has the goods. If this guy has the goods, we're okay. If this guy will fight hell for her like mom and dad will have all the, her life, we're okay. But if he's just some clown that thinks he's cute and he wants to go to bed with her, then we're in trouble. And marriages don't last like that. Are y'all here? The giving away of the bride, the transferring of spiritual authority. Nothing wrong with that if this guy's got it. But if he's like, you know, Paul was my, Jackie's mom's husband, nice guy, super guy, nothing wrong with him, good guy, loved God, but he didn't have any spiritual authority. Are y'all okay with all this? Pastor, you good? I'm preaching this in your church. And that's what we go through in an American wedding. And, and I make sure they understand it. And anytime anybody's ever come to me for marriage, I always say, well, I will marry you based on my judgment after I counsel you a minimum of three times. You must agree to meet with me three times. It may be four, it may be five, it may be ten, but it, it's a minimum of three. And if I'm not happy after three, we'll do four. And if I'm not happy after four, we'll do five. And then sometimes I just say, sorry, I can't marry you. Yeah. And sometimes they get mad about that. Sometimes they say, we'll just get just mad. Well, you'll just have to because I can't, I, can't, I can't be a part of this. And I was talking to these guys and maybe these guys last night about a, a girl that used to be in her church, her and Dean's church, and I got her filled with the Holy Ghost when she was a teenager. And then she came to Ramah. Uh, in Tulsa, and then she came to my church. I was pastoring the church in Tulsa, and, and then she met this guy in, in Ramah and came to me and said, would you marry us, Brother Terry? And I said, no. I said, I don't think he's a good guy. <laughs> you won't marry us? You got me filled with the Holy Ghost. You, I, I love you. I, I love you too, sweetie, but I don't think this guy's right for you. And I said, you don't have to listen to me. I mean, you still marry him. I just can't marry you. I said, I, I said, you know, I've got a great associate pastor. Ask him if he'll do it. And he did. And sure enough, he's a bad guy. And sure enough, they got divorced. And sure enough, they had a heartache and heartbreak. And, and, you know, but I said, I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm not going to have to answer to God for this. I had a couple come to me one time there in Tulsa. And they was both in their, probably in their, well, they was older than me. I was probably in my 30s. They must have been in their 40s. And uh, they came to me and said, Brother Terry said, uh, uh, my name's so-and-so, my name's so-and-so. Uh, would, you, would you perform our wedding ceremony? We want to get married. Would you marry us? And I said, well, let's talk. And I said, uh, are y'all, where'd y'all come from? Are you like going to Ramah or something? Oh, yeah, we're going to Ramah. And I said, well, looking at the two of you, 
that you're older. I'm assuming this isn't your first marriage. No, 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 it's not. And I said, how many times have you been married? And he said, seven. I said to her, and how many times have you been married? She said, seven. And I said, did y'all ever think out of 14 marriages that maybe it's you're the problem? <laughs> I mean, if it's just one marriage and divorce, it could be their problem, your problem. But after, after seven failures, could you think maybe you're the problem? And I said, what happened? Somebody at Raymond prophesied to you to get married? And they said, well, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I said, uh-huh, don't ever do that. And I said, no, I won't marry you. God bless you. I hope you do well, but I can't be a part of that. And they got ticked off and went and got somebody else to do it. And I don't know where they are today. I'm sure they're not married. <laughs> that was a disaster going somewhere to happen. And I didn't want to have to repent to God over it. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So spiritual authority is a big deal. It's, it's more of a big deal than the church has ever thought it is. We need to really get into spiritual authority. And I, I don't think we've scratched the surface. Years later, let me tell you this story. Well, I'll let you go. I want to tell you a fourth story. I, I, I don't think I can work it in, though, with the time limit. But uh, uh, Jackie and I were in way south Mexico, and I would invited my friend T.L. Osborne, who's one of the greatest missionaries ever graced the planet, to come down and do a meeting with me. And so we both did this meeting together in Mexico. T.L. flew down. Jackie and I and our kids drove down. And uh, so when the meeting was all over and it was great and wonderful, well, then we drove T.L. to the airport, and he flew back to Tulsa, and then we started the long trip home in our van. And just as we got, oh, I don't know, 50 miles or so out of town, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you need to go to Oaxaca and check on this certain missionary couple that we had helped them get down there and supported them and helped them. And there no phones, no way to get a hold of them. But, but we were over close to Acapulco, and so, and they were over in Oaxaca, which is both in super south Mexico, but you couldn't just go from here to here straight. You had to go almost all the way back up to Mexico City around the mountain range and then down and back all the way. It's going to be an all-day deal. And I didn't want to do it. I was tired. We had done the crusade, blah, 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 blah. So I didn't say anything. I'm just driving. Long trip back to Tulsa. And uh, after about an hour, hour and a half, Jackie said, uh, darling, I said, what? She said, I think we're supposed to go to Oaxaca and check on uh, Rex and Becky. And I said, I know it. I know it. I said, the Lord told me that already. And she said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I don't know. She said, well, you better do what God told you to. And I said, do you realize how long that's going to take? We're going to have to go almost to Mexico City, turn around, go all the way back down there. It's going to be a, she said, well, I know that, but we can't help it. God, God wants us to help them. They're obviously in trouble. Yeah. So I said, oh, okay. And so we did. We went up and around and got got into their town just just almost dark not quite dark and and went to their house and uh, surprised them they had no way of knowing we're coming and sure enough they were in trouble sure enough they needed help and sure enough we ended up bringing them back to the states with us and paying for it all but nevertheless uh she was all embarrassed because we just showed up and she didn't have anything to feed us and it was you know dinner time and I said, oh, don't, don't worry about that. I said, we'll just go out to eat. Let's, let's, let's go. I'll take everybody out to eat. Let's go. Y'all, they got in their van, and I got in my van. We drove down to some restaurant they recommended, and we got down there and parked on the side of the street, curbside. And we're tired, Tammy. I mean, we've been doing not only the crusade, but now we've driven all day long through Mexico roads and mountain curves. And uh, it's a bad, that's a bad road. One, 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 <laughs> nowadays, Mexico has turnpikes. 
you can go from Mexico City to, to uh, Oaxaca in just uh, about five or six hours now on a turnpike. Back then, it was a 13-hour trip, and the, the guidebook said that there was 1,100 curves on that road, and I think there are every one there. <laughs> and then if you get behind a bus, and it's doing diesel smoke on you, and you're just put, putting along, and it's going around these hairpin curves, and you're right behind it, then you're breathing. On. Anyway, it's, it's not fun. And we had done it, Lord only knows how many times. And so as we got out of the truck, out of the van, we're tired, and we're going into the restaurant, and, and J Jackie's out, the kids are out, everybody's going in, and so I'm just locking the door, and as I'm just about to shut the side door, I realize she, I see her purse. She left her purse in the car between the seats. And why, Melina, I didn't just pick it up like I had 10,000 other times, I don't know. But I said, darling, you forgot your purse. And she's going, and she, oh, it's okay, just leave it. And, and I said, Jackie, you forgot your purse. She said, it's okay, just, just, just leave it. I said, Jackie, you don't leave your purse in the car, and especially in Mexico, in South Mexico, you don't do that. I don't know why I didn't pick it up. I've always picked it up. I've carried her purse. Right. Uh, gee, I don't mind carrying purses. I just, that day, that day I just, we were all zombied out, you know. And, and, and she just said, leave it, leave it. And I said, Jackie, you don't leave your purse. You need to get your purse. And she turned and looked at me and stomped her foot, and she said, I don't want it. <laughs> Whoa. And I said, well, little darling, if you don't want it, I don't want it either. And I just shut the door. And we went in and ate. And when we came back out of the restaurant, the window's broken out, and the purse is gone. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Now, Spiritual authority. Whose purse was it? Jackie's. Who had spiritual authority over it? Jackie. What did she say? I don't want it. What did I say? I don't want it either. Now, we had never had anything stolen. Been all over Mexico, lived in Mexico, been all over the world, never had anything stolen ever. Nothing. Not in India, not in Mexico, nowhere. She always pled the blood of Jesus on our stuff and our, our cars and our suitcases and right. everything else. But here, here we announce to the devil, <laughs> yeah. you can have it. We don't want it. <laughs> we release spiritual authority. Good. And it was a valuable lesson, costly. And, you know, she didn't have a gazillion dollars in there or anything, but she did have some jewelry and she had her passport and she had family pictures and she had her driver's license. She had stuff that had to be replaced and... You know, and we learned a lesson. You don't say, I don't want it. Yeah. Real careful not to ever say that. <laughs> and we also learned, said, you know what? We need to watch everything we have. Even if we get tired of something and think we'll give it away or we'll sell it, we yeah, still don't want to lose, lose our spiritual authority that's right. until the day it transfers out of our hands. Exactly. We're going to still maintain authority over it. That's right. Sell a house, sell a car, whatever. Yeah, yeah, everything. Everything. Amen. Y'all get anything out of all that? Yeah. Well, if y'all come back tomorrow night and Tuesday night, we'll do some more stuff. But spiritual authority is something we, the church, has got to dig into. There's areas in your life you inherently, automatically have authority. Like your kids, your marriage, your house, your car, your stuff, your body, your finances. But, your soul, that'd be a good one. But, by the same token, you can, 
you can transfer spiritual authority. You can transfer it temporarily. You can transfer it permanently. You can, you can give it out and take it back. I've had people say to me over the years, say, Brother Terry, you know doctors just have a God complex. I said, well, you know why? You give it to them. Most people go in to see a doctor and they just sit there terrified and they don't even ask the doctor questions. Just whatever he says, they say. And then he leaves and he says, what did he say? So, I, don't, I don't even know. Well, did you ask him this? Oh, no, I didn't ask him anything. Well, but, but see, you, you need to understand that doctors and plumbers and electricians and carpenters and any other profession are hired help. And that you hire them to do a job. You never give them carte blanche spiritual authority. Never. You don't walk into your doctor's office and go lay down on the table and say, okay, doc, do anything you want to. You don't do that. You say, I got this problem right here. I got this problem right here. I got this problem right here. I, I need, and I'm, I need you to fix it. But you don't just say, help yourself. You don't call a plumber or an electrician and say, come out to my house and just do whatever you think. You don't do that. You say, I've got a switch broken, I want it fixed. I've got a pipe broken, I want it fixed. You, you pay them, hire them to do a job. But you don't loose your spiritual authority and just throw it wide open. You know, people, you let babysit your kids. You watch out about the spiritual authority. Those are your kids. You don't want to let them just do anything they want to. You give them parameters. Are y'all here? Good. Yep. Good. It's seven. Is it seven thirty? We started at six. We know we started at five. So we started at six thirty. Been going on. Yeah, that's what I thought. Can I tell you one story? Just one. Just one. Uh, Jackie and I were living in Tulsa, and her family was having a family reunion. And so they all came down to a lake there, Lake Eufaula, and they had campers and tents and stuff like that. And, and so we were going to go be with them and do family reunion. And I said to her, I said, you know what? I said, uh, I'm going to call down to the lake and see if they have houseboats. And we'll rent, I'll rent us a houseboat. And we'll have, that way we'll have air conditioning and a, you know, and refrigerator and stove and all that kind of stuff. Plus we'll go out and fish and play, play in the houseboat. And so I called, and sure enough they did, and sure enough I rented one. And so we, we were, uh, this particular day, I'd had a little trouble with the engine, with the motor. I had a little, little hesitation here and there as I was driving the boat. And so uh, we went on over to the shore where they were all camped out at, and I just ran the boat up, on, ran the front skids up on the, the bank, which is what you do with the houseboat. You get it up there so it won't float off. And, uh, and so Jackie and the kids went on to be with the family, and I was going to go too. Uh, and I was up on the very, very top, up on the second floor and on, on the roof. And, uh, and I was putting some stuff away. And then I was going to get down and go, go join them. And I thought about that motor. I thought, oh, you know what? I need to see about that motor before I do that. And uh, I just thought, well, the fastest way between two points is a straight line. So I just jumped. And instead of going down the stairs and all that, I just jumped over the rail. But when I did, I hung my wedding ring oh. on that rail. And so whenever I got over the rail and it caught, and I'm a pretty big boy, I mean, I, you know, and it just cut right into my finger and up into the bone and started peeling that skin off. And I'm just hanging, hanging by one finger, just kind of flopping like a fish and blood squirting on me, you know, and stuff like that. 
And, and I'm trying to get loose, and nobody could see me to help me. And I'm trying to get loose, and finally I got, I got my other fingers up there and reached up, and I pulled up enough to, to let go and, and drop into the water. And the water maybe was about waist deep. And so I grabbed my hand like that, and boy, my ring shoved up into here, and the skin's all pulled up in the bone. And, uh, and, and I thought, well, you know what? While I'm here, I ought to just fix that motor. And so, so I just went on back to the back of the boat, which is a little bit deeper water now, and I started working on the motor, but I'm still bleeding. And so all of a sudden I started getting lightheaded, and I thought, this is kind of dumb. I better get up on the land before I pass out in the water, and I'll get up on the land and get my head down and my feet up, and, you know, and I'll deal with this. And so I'm holding my hand like this, and I'm praying and commanding it to be healed and stuff. And so I walk up on the shore, and as I did, some of the family saw me and saw that blood everywhere. And so they started running down towards me. And the, the, the shore was kind of sloped up like this. So I just lay down and put my head down and my feet up. And I'm laying there like this and just praying. And so here now, they all converge on me. And, uh, and I heard her daddy say, he's going to lose that finger. And I heard her brother say, he's going to lose that finger. And Jackie got down right in my face, just in my face. She's crying. The four kids are crying. And she said, uh, she said Terry, what do I do? What do you want me to do? And I just, and I'm like this, and I just real calmly looked at her and I said, uh, can you sew? And she said, what? I said, can you sew? She said, can I sew? I said, yeah. I said, look, I need two things done. I need somebody to cut my ring off and I need somebody to sew my finger on. That's all I need. And I said, I'll do everything else. She said, no, I can't sew your finger on. She said, what do you want me to do? I said, well, then you need to take me to somebody that can. We need to find somebody that can sew. And so they gave me a towel, and we wrapped it all up. And there's a little town nine miles away, and they had a hospital. So she and I drove to the hospital. And when we got to the hospital, we walked in, and these two little old nurses came running out, and real young girls, and, and they looked at my hand. And they said, oh, you're going to lose that finger. And I said, ladies, I said, uh, I just came here for two things. I said, I, I, do, if you have a doctor that can cut my ring off and can sew my finger on, that's all I need done. And they said, well, you're going to lose that thing. I said, but do you have a doctor? Well, of course we have a doctor. I said, well, could I see him? And so the doctor comes out, and he looks at it, and he says, you're going to lose that finger. And I said, doc, I said, uh, I reached in my pocket, and I said, I said, I got money. I said, I came here to hire you, and all I want you to do is two things. That's all. I want you to cut my ring off, and I want you to sew my finger on. And if you'll do that, I'll pay you. I said, if you don't want to do it or you can't do it, just tell me now there are no hard feelings, but I'll go somewhere and find somebody else. Somebody, somebody will do it. Somebody will cut my ring off and sew my finger on. He said, well, of course I can do that, but you're going to lose that finger. And I said, no, 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 I, I, I don't want you to get snip happy here. Because <laughs> yeah. he just snipped it off. Yeah. Yeah. He just reached over and got his cutters and because that bone's all exposed and everything. He just, and he'd have been happy and I wouldn't. And so I uh, got up there, and he said, he said, well, do you care if I at least give you a tetanus shot? I said, that's okay. You can give me a tetanus shot, but that's it. And so he gave me a tetanus shot, and he cut my ring off. And, and you, can see, you, can, you can see the scar right there, and you can see how it's fatter. Yeah. You, you know, so, so it, it, you know, it messed it up. Uh, and, and, and I had to get my ring melted down and get a, a bigger one made. And uh, so... Uh, Anyway, so he, he sews it all up and, and uh, wraps it all up with a nice white bandage, and I paid him. And the last thing he said to me is he said, now, don't get that wet. 
So I'm walking out like this, you know, and I got a big old white, big old white bandage, you know. And, uh, and so when we got back in the truck and headed to the lake, Jackie said, why don't we just go home? He said, why don't we just go on back to Tulsa and we'll sleep in our bed and I can take care of your finger and all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, it's your family reunion. If that's what you want to do, we'll do it. And so we got to the lake and gathered everything up and turned in the houseboat and got our kids and packed up and went to Tulsa. Well, about 5 o'clock the next morning, my phone starts ringing. And I pick up the phone, and it's Charles Caps. Y'all know who Charles Caps is? Yes. It's Charlie. And Charlie says, uh, Terry, it's Charlie. I say, hey, Charlie, what's going on? He said, I just woke up this morning wanting to go fishing. He said, uh, won't you come over and let's go fishing? I said, well, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. And he said, well, get in your plane. I had a single-engine Cessna. He said, get in your plane and fly it over here to my house and land in my backyard. And he said, and then we'll get in my plane, and we'll fly across Arkansas here to the White River, and we'll... We'll catch us some bass. And I said, all right, I'll be there in just a little bit. So I get up, and I go out to the airport, and, and I fly to his house in, in Arkansas and land. And, and uh, he said, what you do to your finger? And I said, oh, I cut it, and it, it's okay. And uh, he said, well, he said, get in, my, you get in my plane. So we got in his plane. And, and Charlie never did fly very high. He, he, I always ask him, do you think you'll get a nosebleed if you get higher than the treetops? <laughs> You know, because he just kind of used it. He always used an airplane like a car. He just, mm, in Arkansas, is flat and across those soybean fields and stuff, you know. And, and so we flew across Arkansas, and he landed in the soybean field by the White River. And so when we landed, he said, uh, he said, run over there behind those trees. I've got a couple of four-wheelers over there. I said, run over there and get one, bring it back, and we'll load the fishing gear on it, and then, and then we'll. over there and I'll get on one and so we did and so we got the fishing gear loaded up and he, he got his wheeler and I'm on mine and I'm, I'm doing like this driving with one hand you know and I'm following him and he goes into the woods and so I follow him through this trail in the woods and, and uh, pretty soon I couldn't see him anymore and I couldn't hear the engine anymore and, and I went around a curve and there's his four-wheeler just by itself no Charlie and so I stopped and I looked around I said, Charlie, Charles, and, he, and I heard this voice. He said, come on in. The water's fine. And I said, what? I said, and I went over and peeked through the, some bushes, and he's out there this deep fishing. I said, we're not going to use a boat. We're wade fishing. He, he said, yeah, I thought we just wade fished today. I said, great. I'm not <laughs> supposed to get this wet. And I thought I was going to be in a boat. And so I went off out there in the water, and I'm up to here. And we, fit, we caught 68 bass that morning. And pretty soon this thing is just sopping wet and it's black with all the scum and stuff on the water. You know, so I just pulled it off and threw it away. And we caught bass and we went and cleaned the bass and cooked the bass and ate the bass and, and then flew back to his house. And then I flew back to my to, to Oklahoma. And, uh, and that thing never gave me a lick of trouble, never gave me a problem, never swelled, never hurt, never... The only thing it ever does now is if I'm on a long missions trip on, on, in an airplane up, up at altitude for hours, it'll, it'll swell, and so I'll, just, I'll have to take it off. It just gets tight and it gets, it gets to bugging me. So that's all it's ever done. But, but had, my point is spiritual authority. Had I not maintained my spiritual authority, and if I had just let the doctor have a God complex and said, oh, doctor, do anything you want to do, whatever you think, he'd have snipped my finger off, charged me for it, and been happy, and... Uh, I wouldn't have a finger. 
but my finger's fine. They've never had a lick of problem with it. Okay. But that's simply because I wouldn't let them all do what they wanted to do. Yeah. That's my finger. I've got spiritual authority over my finger. That's right. Amen. That's right. So anyway, again, now tomorrow night and Tuesday, and I think you're going to learn some stuff. We're going to pick up some stuff and do some stuff that I think, I think by the end of the last session, we're going to, we're going to have some stuff that you'll take with you forever. Amen. Amen. Well, stand up, stand up with me. Get something out of this, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a pastor that cares enough to have a seminar like this. And thank you for Christians that care enough that they'd show up. There are others that need to be here and should be here and no telling what it'll cost them for not being here. But I thank you for those that are here and those that are watching online or those that are listening on some other platform in the future that this gets down on the inside of us and that you write it on the tables of our heart and we learn some things and you show us some things about spiritual authority. Father, I've learned over the years it's life and death. It's life and death. It means, it means the difference of, of living or dying. It means the difference of getting your finger cut off or not. It means the difference of losing your kids or not. I mean, it, it just means all the difference. And I don't think the church has scratched the surface, but we're working on it. There's so much there, Father, and we ask you to teach us and show us and, and show us as we go home and meditate these things. Show us areas we have spiritual authority in. There's grandparents that are wondering if they have spiritual authority over their, over their grandchildren. And there's parents wondering if they have spiritual authority over their children. And, of course, we realize that that's an inherent authority. But we also realize that when people get so old, a certain age, they start taking authority for themselves. And so uh, other spiritual authority wanes. Yet they can be smart enough to look at mom and dad and say, even though I'm older now and have my own spiritual authority, I still want you to speak into my life. That would be a smart person. But some don't do that. Some say, I hate you. I never want to see you again. You'll never see my, my kids again, your grandkids. And they cut them out of their life. And, and, and so there's some areas here that get very serious. Very serious. Very serious. But Father, in the area of, of health, the area of marriage, the area of finance, all these various areas, there's things that we can learn and do about spiritual authority to literally change our outcome, to be healed, to be well. Father, some have said to me over the many years, now, Brother Terry, my, my dad died when he, was, when he was 40 years old of a heart attack. My granddad died when he was 40 years old of a heart attack, and I know I'll never see my 40th birthday. Well, Lord, they've set a course that nobody can change but them. That's an authority that they've taken and declared that no preacher can change. They've got to change it. I've had ladies tell me, Brother Terry, my, my grandmother died of breast cancer. My mom died of breast cancer. I know that's how I'll go. Well, they've set a course there that nobody can change but them. Help them to see it and understand it and to, to not let that spiritual authority go and just get loose with it like that to where the devil just has a heyday. The devil doesn't have a right to kill us. When we maintain spiritual authority and say, oh, devil, you have no authority here. You have no right here. This is my house. This is my husband. This is my wife. These are my kids. These are my grandkids. This is my body. This is my money. You have no authority here. In Jesus' name. And we thank you for it and give you glory and honor. And we give you praise and majesty and dominion. In the majestic and holy name of King Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. 
Renee, remind me tomorrow night. I wanted to tell it tonight, and, and time just got away from me. But uh, I want to talk tomorrow night about some about, about uh, raising the dead and some things like that. And uh, a pastor that had asked me why he couldn't raise somebody from the dead, and I told him. And, and we'll go from there. We'll, 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 we'll take it from there. And uh, I tell you, again, I can't, I've said this. I don't know how many times we had not scratched the service. I mean, this is such a vast subject. There's no telling how many nights we could preach on it and how far we could go with it. And, and, and well, you know. That's just what you know. I mean, I, I just did a meeting in, in North Carolina where we did 12 services. Wow. You know, we did Sunday morning, and then we did the following Sunday morning. But then in the weekdays, we did morning and night, Monday night, morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Friday morning, Friday night. So we did 12 services all in spiritual authority. And I, I still wasn't through. And there's still more to say. Yeah. So this is not... This is not one of those cute little seminars that pastor's putting on that you can come or not come or, or listen or not listen. This is, this is really vital to, to operating on planet Earth uh, that will affect you and your family and your kids and your grandkids and your money and your health and, and your town and your nation and, and everything else. There are just, just some areas of spiritual authority we need to know where we can draw a line and stand and the devil can't cross that. Amen. Including the government. Amen. We, we don't belong to Hollywood and we don't belong to Washington, D.C. And uh, we, we pray for them and we love them and we, we hope they get better, but, but they're, they're not our source. God's our source. Amen. And I will pray for you, like, like Tuesday night as your normal midweek service. I mean, they've changed Wednesday night to Tuesday night as your normal midweek service, so I, I do want to lay hands on you and pray for you. And, but I just want you to get the word in you this morning, get your word in you tonight, get the word in you tomorrow night. And is that all right with everybody? Amen. 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 Pastor? You took a little rabbit trail on getting born again. Can you just take this one? I took a rabbit trail on getting born again. And you were talking about getting saved? Yeah. Does that mean make a, give an altar call? Yeah. Be here. Well, yeah, why not? I wouldn't want anybody to go to hell. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Paul said that if all the heathen, Romans chapter 10, all the heathen around the world have to do to get saved is call on the name of the Lord. He said it's just that simple. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. But then he asked four very pointed questions. He says, but how can they call on someone in whom they've not believed? Question one. How can they believe on someone whom they've not heard, question two. How can they hear without a preacher, question three. And how can they preach lest they be sent, question four. And then he goes right into verse 17, which we all use as a great faith scripture on, on lots of other subjects, but it really the context of it is salvation. He said, so then we understand faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, we use that for lots of other areas. We say, I'm going to believe God for a new car or a new house or a new this because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that'll work. But in context, he's talking about salvation. So we understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That if we, if we hear a preacher preach and we b hear it and we believe it and we call, then we shall be saved. Amen. So uh, one thing that I, it bothers me a lot that Christians do and preachers do is that Christians and preachers will say a lot of times, if you'll get born again, if you'll get saved, you'll live forever. Well, you're going to live forever anyway. That's what people don't seem to understand. You're going to live forever. 
Everybody that's ever been born on this planet is still alive today. That's right. They're either in hell or they're in heaven, but they're very much alive. That's right. And the sad thing about those in hell is that their sentence today is no shorter than it was the day they got there. Right. And it'll last for eternity. I talk a lot about, about Nero killing the Apostle Paul, cutting his head off. And I said, and, and, and he said, don't preach the name of Jesus. And Paul said, I'm going to preach. He said, don't you dare preach the name of Jesus. And Paul said, I'm, I'm going to preach it. He said, if you preach it, I'm going to kill you. And Paul said, I'm going to preach it. And Nero said, if you preach the name of Jesus, I'll cut your head off. And two weeks from now, nobody will remember your name. And Paul said, I'm going to preach it. And so he preached it, and Nero cut his head off. And uh, I said, 2,000 years later, we name our dogs Nero and our sons Paul. <laughs> And, and, and Nero has been, ever since the day he died, he's been in hell and still there today and will be there for eternity going, dummy, you murdered the Apostle Paul. 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 Now, that's, his, that's his future. So we're going to live forever. But there's only two places you can live, heaven or hell. Amen. So, if you're watching online, if you're in your hotel room or hospital room or living room, or if you're listening on another platform, MP3 or CD or whatever in the future, or if you're here in the house and you're not born again, you're not saved, then don't let another moment go by without taking care of that. It's the simplest thing in the world to do. God wants you to be saved. He wants you as a family. He gave his son to die for you. Jesus so loves you and thought you were so valuable that he died for you, shed his blood for you. And all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. Paul said another thing. He said, just believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God. Well, I think we all believe that. You believe Jesus is the son of God? Believe he was born of a virgin? Yeah, lived on this earth as a man? Of course. Died a substitutionary death on the cross for you? Yes, absolutely. Rose again the third day? Absolutely he did. And by believing on him, we can live with him forever. It's just that simple. Amen. It's not joining a church. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's just a relationship with Jesus where he, he saves your soul and brings you to him and you live with him forever. So let's just all pray this prayer together. Pray it out loud, loud enough for yourself to hear it and help, help everybody else pray. That way they won't feel uncomfortable if we all pray. And I won't feel uncomfortable. We'll just all pray together. All those of you at home or in the hospital or wherever you're watching from, you pray this out loud, loud enough for your own ears to hear it. Say, Father, Father I, come you today I come before you today to accept Jesus. To accept Jesus. I believe in my heart. In my Jesus heart. is the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. Lived on this earth as a man. Died on the cross for me. Paid for my sin. My sickness. With his own blood. And rose again the third day. And by believing on him. By accepting him. I can live with him forever. So thank you Lord. For saving me. Washing me in the blood of Jesus. Making me a new creature. Forgiving my sins. I love you, Lord. I'm a Christian. And I'll serve you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Now, if you're in the house or if you're watching online or however you're getting this message, it's vitally important that you tell somebody. 
Brother Hagen probably taught us one of the greatest faith messages ever. I'll never forget as long as I live. He used to teach it to us just personally if we was at dinner or he'd teach it from the pulpit. But he'd talk about the little woman with the issue of blood. And it's just so simple. He says, you know, the way to do healing and the way to do anything else by faith is, is, is that story tells it all. He says the first thing that happens is that she heard it. The Bible says when she heard of Jesus, right, she heard, somebody told her. Somebody had the, the, the nerve and the guts and the love to go tell her because it's illegal to go to her because she, she's bleeding. She, she's like a leper. She can't be around people. It's illegal. They can stone her to death. But somebody told her, so she heard it. And then it says that she said it. She said, if I can just touch him of his garment, I'll be healed. And then she did it. She went out and found him and touched him of his garment. And then she received it. The Bible says she felt in her body she was healed of that plague and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And the last thing Brother Hagin says is so vital. He says she told it. She came back and fell down and told Jesus all the truth. Amen. So she heard it. She said it. She did it. She received it. She told it. It's vital that if you prayed with me tonight and you've not prayed that prayer before that you tell somebody. If you're watching online or watch, by some other means, there'll be an address there on the screen or there'll be an address on the CD, whatever. There'll be a way to get a hold of the church. So, so contact the church, or if you're here in the house tonight, just come up and tell me tonight, or tell an usher or somebody that, hey, I prayed with Terry. Or if you're watching, say, hey, I prayed with Brother Terry, and I gave my heart to Jesus. You can also contact me just by terrymines.com, and just say, hey, I prayed with you and got saved, and, and so on and so on. But, but you, we need to know who you are, not because we're going to track you down, but because we, you're part of the family, and uh, we want to make sure you don't fall through the cracks, and if you don't have a Bible, we'll make sure you get one. And if you don't have some kind of instruction, we want to make sure you get one. I can give you some, some tapes, some CDs, some, some stuff. We, we, we want you to get help. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So it's important and it's vital that you do tell it. Amen. Amen. Let's just lift our hands and praise the Lord. Pastor, come on. Thank you, Father. We give you glory, Lord. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise and majesty. We give you dominion. In Jesus' name, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Give you the glory. Yes. In Jesus' name, praise the Lord. Thank you, Thank you, you Jesus, Lord, for Thank these you, words. Father. Let them re gain resident in our hearts. Yes. So we, walk in them. we declare Psalms 91 over as they travel, Lord, that we, we travel in safety. And, Lord, yes, tomorrow Lord. night, God, let us prepare our hearts to receive more. Remember, tomorrow night, weird time, 630. 630. We'll see you then. God bless you.